Tonight's episode of the Tuesday Night Cigar Club is brought to you by Drew Estate. Come experience the rebirth of cigars at www.drewestate.com and download the free Drew Diplomat smartphone app today to discover nearby retailers, RSVP to special events, redeem points to win exclusive Drew Estate merchandise, and much, much more. Brothers and sisters of the leaf, coming to you live from the corner of no hope, it's the Tuesday Night Cigar Club Podcast. Tonight the boys partake in an inspiring discussion with legendary filmmaker J.R. Bookwalter about his 1989 cult classic, Robot Ninja, while smoking the Macanudo Inspirata Red from General Cigar Company, paired with the tasty Kung Fu Robot IPA from Fourth Tap Brewing Co-op. Hmm, a Robot Ninja movie. A Kung Fu Robot Beer. You guys really couldn't track down a Taekwondo Robot-themed cigar to complete the pairing trifecta here? What a bunch of losers. Anywho, sit back, folks, light them up, and enjoy the show. I, uh... <laughs> I have two beers. Yeah, how'd that happen? Uh... <laughs> When one's just not good enough. You know, right before we started the show, I just looked at the news ticker, and I saw some breaking news coming across. Uh, turns out Donald Trump's private attorney, Michael Cohen, who it appears is almost exclusively retained by clients to pay off porn stars and mistresses, uh, has just revealed that he has a fourth previously unnamed mystery client. Please say the doctor. Please say the doctor. Uh, you'd like that, wouldn't you? Mr. Ron Jason Tuttle. Care to explain yourself, young man? Turning client privilege? Uh, Ron Tuttle. Doing his very small part to make America horny again since the early 90s. It's true. It's totally true. You know how Matt Cade makes America horny again, guys? How? So you're just going to drink well, incessantly. That, that no, 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 because I've been watching you do that for like years now, and I'm... Watching me chug that beer, you're no more hornier than you were a few minutes ago? Correct. Be honest. <laughs> a little bit hornier? <laughs> no. Uh, Tiny bit hornier. No. Fake news. Fake news. Fake news. <laughs> Fake news. 
Um, when in doubt, just chug a fucking beer. Welcome, everybody. I to like that one. <laughs> hey, I should get little red hats. <laughs> when in doubt, chug a fucking beer. Copyright 2018 Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Speaking of Tuesday Night Cigar Club, uh, welcome, everybody, to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club. All uh, right. Episode 72. 72, I believe. 72. Oh, man, only 28 more of these to go before I kill all of you. I mean, before I chuck another beer. I'm <laughs> turning in my notice. It'll be a, uh, like, 27 show notice or something like that. Um, no, we're all horny here. Always. What? I mean, sure, maybe. Am I in some kind of trouble here? Did you talk to my lawyer? <laughs> Apparently you so. You can't. He's been subpoenaed. Not that guy. <laughs> um, Fourth Amendment be damned. What a crazy world we live in. Um, boy, we have quite a show for you tonight. Um, oh, man. We, yes. In a little bit, you're going to be treated to an interview with the director, writer-director, uh, Colt Legend, uh, of tonight's film we're going to take you through. Uh, but we do have a little bit of business to get through uh, beforehand. As you can see, there is a glass boot in the middle of the table. Oh, man. You guys outvoted me on this. Yeah. Last night, uh, the, a gentleman died yesterday, passed away. Uh, I wasn't going to bring out the boot. Cody, How uh, can you not bring out the boot? Because you're a disgusting drunk body. Cody threw out a text. We should probably bring out the boot. I said if Tut votes for it, you guys, it's a democracy. How are you not? I don't because body of work. Saving Silverman? I'm sorry. Just that role alone is boot worthy. <laughs> that, uh, words that have never been mentioned anywhere ever. <laughs> yeah, but I mean... Just his work in Saving Silverman alone. It, that, that's not where I was it's not like it. It's not like a thing. That's like, oh, the Michael J. Fox deal. You know, that was good. What There was something else he was known for. Not the Michael J. Fox ghost yeah. movie. Not well, let's the Saving Silver. Can we, how about I? How about I? Can we tell the listeners who he is? I think first? there was something else he was. Wait, yeah. Can we yeah. say his name first, Todd? Okay. Uh, here's a guy who never made anybody horny. Are you kidding? He made Marines all across the world horny. Well, I'm not I'm, sure that's how that works either. That is how that works. Well, I'm gonna just go ahead and talk, scratch out a lot of things I was gonna say. And <laughs> <laughs> this isn't. This is what I had it at all. Yes, unfortunately, we lost R. Lee Ermey on April 15th, mm. uh, 2018. Mail call. That's the big show that he's in. Mail said. call. Uh, Ronald Lee Ermey. He was uh, born in Mar- uh, March 24th, 1944, uh, in uh, Emporia, Kansas. 1944. 1944. 1944. Well, he wasn't that old then. Uh, I believe he was 74 when he passed. It's a good run. Yeah. Good run. He, uh, it's good yeah, he was, uh, his family moved around. He ended up in uh, Washington uh, when he was younger. He's a little bit of a hellraiser, got into some trouble. I can see that. Ended up in a court, uh, basically on his second arrest. The judge gave him a choice. I did not know Jail that. or military service. So he I took d- jail. <laughs> no. <laughs> what? No, no. Yeah. Military service. Joined Story the Marines. Was- so uh, no, I no, I, I didn't know that. That's why he joined. Yes, seems uh, like a little bit of a rebel rebel rouser. Yes, so he uh, ended up going into that. Uh, I can see it. And uh, eventually worked his way up into drill sergeant. Mm-hmm. And as he was doing that, uh, he was uh, attending the University of Manila in the Philippines, and he got his first film role, which happened to be in Apocalypse Now. 
What? I didn't realize he was in Apocalypse. He, I did not I, know that. He was. I'm not sure that he was actually credited Just in, in terms of his role because he only he played a uh, chopper pilot, one of the first cavalry chopper okay, yeah, pilots. Yeah. I'll have to look at that. If I you listen real close, you can hear this goddamn chopper. In the- <laughs> Uh, Hoorah! He, was he, so he ended up uh, doubling as a technical advisor to uh, Francis Ford Coppola during that time, and then uh, went on to do uh, some several other films. And then his thing in 1987 for Stanley Kubrick's Full Metal Jacket, he took that role and only to be the technical advisor. To he was going to train the guy who was going to play the role. Correct. Now he initially was intended only as that. Kubrick changed his mind after Ermy put together an instructional tape in, it, in which he went on an extended tirade towards several of the extras, convincing Kubrick he was the right man for that role. Fuck yeah, man. That's why uh, Kubrick's Kubrick. Dude, yes. every, time you see, every time you see that hand, it is perfectly on the seam of his pants. He could be bending at a 45-degree angle, knees bent or legs locked, and he's just that hand is right there, just straight freaking pose discipline. Uh, and as it said, you know, seeking authenticity for the film, Kubrick allowed Ermy to write or edit his own dialogue and improvise on the set, a notable rarity for Kubrick. Oh, he didn't like uh, you Kubrick, doing your own thing. Uh, later indicated that Ermy was an excellent performer, often needing only just two or three takes per scene. Whereas he would have Shelley Duvall on The Shining do 500 takes of each scene. <laughs> Drove her into a nuthouse, for God's sake. He was probably scared say. of Ermy. And uh, well, Ermy's performance... Kubrick was afraid of no one. Ermy's performance... He was afraid of Ermy. I'm sorry, go ahead, man. Yeah. He was nominated for a Golden Globe Award as Best Supporting Actor for Gunnery Sergeant Hartman. I, it's it's funny because, you know, I can, I can see people saying, but he didn't really act. And I can understand that. Oh, but that's the oh, point. No, as, as someone who's thrown people in front of the camera and said, just be yourself, I love what you do in your normal life. Do that. They never do that. Yeah, I've never done that. When you've told me that, I've been like, I don't know what to do. Hey, you do this awesome thing. Can you do it when I turn this camera on? Sure. Oh, wait. No. <laughs> What's that red line? <laughs> you disgusting... That is jelly. <laughs> that is Girl. talent. That is that is an in, an ingrained talent that he had. He was a natural born performer, is what he was. Yes, he was performing yeah. as a drill sergeant when he was in the service. He he had a spotlight on him without having a spotlight on him, and when he got on film sets, he ate it up. Yes, I love and, the fact that they said that that man could go into any bar anywhere and never buy a drink. And that's blood goals. I mean. He, uh, and this is one Just of those when, things. When, I, there, there's so many times where actors have like tried to do military roles, and they've, you know, some have done all right, some have missed the mark. I, I've never heard anybody talk bad about any military man talk bad about Arlie Ermey. Um, real quick, we have a, a kind of a, a mutual friend, um, Ben, who works for. He's a uh, rep for Blackworks. He's a Marine. Ex-Marine. And he did a post on Facebook last night. I guess uh, Ermy came and spoke to his... Oh, that'd be cool. at, at some kind of... Uh, when, when Ben was in the service to some yeah. kind of Marine uh, thing. And said he stuck around for hours afterwards taking pictures. Telling the boys that, you know what? You guys are a completely different breed than when I served. Because you enlisted for this shit. We didn't have a choice. 
like you said, his judge told him you're doing this. Right. Well, he's yeah. like he's like you guys volunteered to serve your country. He's like that puts you on a different level. He said he was smoking stogies, taking pictures. He said he was just the most nicest. Um, went beyond whatever he was paid to come there and do. Um, he just till the very end. And then I also had another friend on Facebook, an actress who played uh, Leatherface's sister in the Texas Chainsaw remake, which Ermy had a huge role in as the sheriff. Um, and she spoke of his just warm kind of, um, you know, just standing in puddles, giving his umbrella to other people when it was raining, just, you know, smiling his ass off. And she's like, you know, why are you smiling? I like and hearing he, that. And he's like... I like hearing that. You know, when he was on a movie set, it was just gravy. It was just in a in a happy place, and he, and Heather was like, you know, it was just you couldn't help but just kind of get a kick out of this guy, and just. Um, I think the when you talk about body of work, yeah, it's definitely lacking. Uh, and that was why. I but mean, at the same he time, did two gangbuster. But at the performances same time, he in is the so movies. yes. I mean, he went so. Take the guy from Full Metal Jacket on steroids, what he brought to the Texas Chainsaw remakes. I'm going to have to actually watch that. Oh, my yeah. God. Like, he is terrifying. He's scarier than Leatherface. Yeah. <laughs> and he's Leatherface's brother. Yeah. Uh, and and he takes it to such an extreme. But I, I just was going to... I mean, we're pretty selective about the boot. and I, 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 um, I think where R. Lee takes point is that he was so impactful with the roles he did do. Yeah, the body of work, the quantity of work might not be there. That's true. And, 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 and he might not be like this big, diverse actor, but his impact on the roles that he had were almost transformative. You never heard someone say, boy, Ermie really fucked up that role. Or, boy, Ermie sucked in that. Well, no, and he had a... You know, you know, you know who was the greatest part of Full Metal Jacket? Joker said no one. Yeah, and Joker did an awesome job. Yeah, there was a lot of awesome characters in that movie, yeah. and Arlie just chewed up half of it. True, and and that's what I said. You know, to be able to create that character from his own experiences, obviously, but to to and to translate that to the screen in. Almost a little over the top manner, but not really so much. He finessed it. He, he fin- finessed it. He finessed the hell out of it. But he created a character that is legend now, iconic. When someone says Drill Sergeant Hartman, there you go. It was uh, I. We played a, a ton of military bases, and I actually got to see uh, drill. This is for our listeners, is a mute uh, in your country band. Yeah, in the country band, and we actually got to see the drill instructor training or practice. And the guys had the big smoky bear hats on, and they were standing right in front of a tree with that brim touching the tree, and just yelling their fucking asses off. It was like, it was like they like all right. At so the tree at the tree practicing was, practicing. So it was like almost said all right. I want you to go to that tree and envision Arlie Ermy what he would say to that tree. And these guys were barking left and right, and I was giggling so damn much. That's interesting. It, it was fun. I, I, I just, yeah, I, I was like, you know what? It's kind of a character, but at the same time, when you actually see it mm-hmm. in practice, you know, maybe he was the real deal. So. Well, 
I think you guys are right. Uh, he's worthy of the boot. Tut, we have drank from the boot. Finish it off. Release Ermi's spirit into the great... Uh, beyond. Beyond. Uh, I saw a meme today that he was... Uh, he's meme. reporting... Meme. Meme. Meme? Yeah. Memes. He's reporting... He, uh, he calls memes memes. As soon as he gets to heaven, they were like, Arlie, you're on duty. So that was kind of cool. And if you have not seen Full Metal Jacket, oh, God, go highly on, recommend go it. And here's Once the best again. thing about those Chainsaw uh, remakes. The yeah. only good thing. Yeah. Take so uh, check those out as well. Um, all right, boys. You were right. I was wrong. There you go. The boot is empty. He's released into the cosmos. You ready to smoke a cigar? Oh, Please. hell yeah. Please. Tonight we are smoking the Macanudo Inspirado Red from General Cigar Company. Cody, you should be ecstatic about this. When I when we started smoking cigars, Macanudos were your Go bread to. and butter. Up until recently, I believe Macanudos were the number one selling cigar in the world, uh, premium cigar in the world. I think perhaps Acid, now that they're into Asia, has maybe eclipsed that yeah. a little bit. Uh, I'd have to double check, but Macanudo is one of the all time uh, classics. In the premium, affordable premium cigar world, Cody, I'm stealing your utensils. That is, that is quite all right. I'm sorry. Let me tell you a little bit because this Macanudo certainly you can tell is a little bit different than the Macanudos you smoked uh, just a few years ago, uh, where those were a light Connecticut shade, a very mild cigar. Uh, this one features an Ecuadorian wrapper, utilizes the rare and highly sought after Ecuadorian Havana Lajero leaf. Binder, Nicaraguan, flavorful tobacco selected from the acclaimed Jalapa region. Tut, you're a big fan. Filler. You said Lajero and Jalapa, so I'm on board. Oh, it gets better. Uh, filler, Nicaraguan Esteli, aged for five years. Nicaraguan Ometepe, aged for 12 years. And Honduran, Honduran Yamastran, aged for 10 years. So you got 12-year, 10-year, okay. 5-year-old tobacco in this sucker. Uh, here's a little bit of info I got for you. Macanudo Inspirado Red Robusto cigars are part of a line made to celebrate Macanudo's 50th anniversary. 50 years oh. these things have been around. Born from rich volcanic soil and perfected through unique aging techniques, the red holds the distinction of being Inspirado's fullest-bodied cigar yet. It's going to be a strong Macanudo. That's different. This bold, full-bodied offering represents the marriage of rich volcanic soil and profound aging techniques to achieve unmatched strength and refinement. Dressed in Ecuadorian Habano Lajero and blended with rare tobaccos, as I mentioned, including the 12-year-aged uh, Ometepe from Nicaragua, 10-year-aged Yamastran from Honduras, and the 5-year-aged Nicaraguan Esteli, Macanudo Inspirado Red is bound with hearty Nicaraguan Jalapa. Enticing notes of pepper, spice, reign supreme, transcending the experience of Central American tobaccos to the point of the sublime. That was a little emphasis. Man, that was a very Jay Peterson of the read there. <laughs> As I exited the jungle, I tripped across a cigar. I tripped across the cigar. Um, boy, this is not your grandpa's Macanudo. Apparently it is not. Taking you to a trip to sublime. Has everyone lit up? Yes. I have. 
first impressions upon light. It is certainly, obviously, a different. Uh, it's a, it's a it's got a leather. Feel that wrapper. Just yeah. rub oh, your no, thumb on it. It's leathery. I mean, it it's like it's like, it's like well, feeling it a leather. I mean that that was the it main aroma really good. that I got off of it before yeah. I lit, was was just a very slight earthy, but really just a strong leather. It yeah. feels like you're touching a leather jacket. Uh, if you rub your actually, yeah, finger, <laughs> figure about it. Uh, a second. It is leather. <laughs> oh, it's all lies. Uh, so far, it's true to form. I mean, I'm getting that leather taste, uh, especially you know going through the retro. I'm not getting a ton of pepper. Uh, I even hesitate to say that I am getting pepper. I'm actually, I'm actually not. There is a strong. Tingle in the, in the nostrils, but it's not. But it's not. It's not, not pepper. a pepper, and it's not a, a, a spice. It kind of no. it kind of hangs there at the at the top of your nose, kind of like a you know when you take a big glob of wasabi. Yeah, um, yeah, that's actually a pretty good description of it. Um, boy, leather, leather, and. Uh, in the early stages, boy, that nose burn. It's like try smoking this leather cigar in the gift section of Bucky's in Texas, and you're just going to be <laughs> shrouded in a blanket of leather. Or go to Cavender's into the boot section. Oh, I love that smell. So much leather. So much leather. Uh, boy, nose burn, leather, and. Uh, and and I'm getting I'm getting some of that Nicaraguan, but I'm not getting earth. really the sweetness of the jalapa. Uh, I have no sweetness whatsoever. No, uh-uh. I'm getting balls strength in it. I mean, it's a strong cigar. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I'm saying strong. Yeah, I'm getting full body here. I'm getting uh, a, a, a blast of leather. I'm getting a blast of chocolate. Yeah. I'm getting some nicotine. Smoke um, profiles off. Uh, pretty cool. It's got to come I should out mention, both ends. It's, uh, it's a nice-looking box-press cigar. I, I should mention the red is available in three sizes. Only the Robusto is the box-press. So we are okay. smoking the box-press tonight. Always a nice treat to get a box-press. Okay. Well, I'll come back to it. Uh, you're right. Smoke Productions Ample. The aroma, both you guys aroma commented really nice. on the it on the aroma really when, when I lit up. Uh, good aroma. Um... We drink beer here on the show, so maybe we should probably talk about that, Mr. Yakboy. Yeah, especially the, because in a couple of beers, I won't be able to talk about it. I've already had four. Uh, well, I chugged one. That doesn't count, right? It, it Maybe it counts. <laughs> I heard if you drink it over the sink, it doesn't count. Hmm. Hmm. Fourth Tap Brewing Co-op. I've uh, actually been there. Have you? Yes. Okay. Yes, I have. Uh, located in Austin, Texas. Uh, I we hate are it. drinking the Kung Fu Robot IPA. Wait a minute. Our movie tonight is Ninja Robot. And the beer is Kung Fu Robot IPA? Could it be that coincidence? That is so crazy. Boom. <laughs> Uh, I have chosen the right <laughs> beer. 
The uh, the Kung Fu Robot. I am a master. Is a IPA. It is listed as an American IPA, but it has a very low IBU, only forty three. Which that's not I would American, that, right? That, I would label that more in the European style. Correct. American IPAs, something in sixty and above. But right. how? I can't. Uh, no, I, when I, I think no, of I've American, when people, no, I've got to interrupt. How is it that, like, when we opened it, I could smell the hops from like well, a now foot, two foot they use citron mosaic, which in this instance, I mean, it's aroma wise, it was amazing. Right. It's it's a bouquet of flowers. It's it's well, it's, it's also e- a bouquet of hot. I, I got yeah, I got yeah. I got that. But hop. it's the, the what I refer to is in in that it's you can taste the hops, you can taste the bitterness, but in when I think of an IPA like an American style, it's that back end. Yeah. That last little bit, and you, it, it's it's going to no, be I'll nothing. Say this is this is way more of a front end front end hop beer, and so it's just like I'm not. To me, I wouldn't consider that the American style of IPA, which uh, would just be like a kick confu- in the it, kick in the teeth. Yeah, it's confusing uh, because I got the hop smell and that that aroma from those hops. Uh, I stuck my nose in it some more, <laughs> and I got pure grapefruit. Right. I took a sw- swallow. I got a little bitterness with that grapefruit. And no bitterness on the back end, right? I don't know. It, uh, it, like I said, it's a forty-three IBU. It's a seven percent ABV, so it's it's got a little bit of strength to it. Uh, Fourth tap uh, is very new. They've been around uh, and started. uh, They opened their doors to the public in uh, late uh, twenty fifteen. It is a, as I said, it is co-op, a worker-owned brewery located in North Austin. Uh, a group of people came together from uh, Houston, San Antonio, Corpus, Austin, all came together and and started working on this, and they and they started making their beers. Uh, basically, as they say, after six years of preparation, research, drinking beers, and development, brewing beers, we finally opened our doors research. to focus on using inspired ingredients to make honest beer. We've been brewing and sharing our beer ever since. Their beers are really nice off the tap wall. Uh, I will say this: uh, shout out to Fourth Tap for hosting Lola, which is local opera artist. Uh, very fun event if you're into that kind of thing. I thought we talked uh, about pushing his pro opera agenda on the show. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I'm done. Lola. I'm done. Lola. Local la, la, opera. La, la, what does that stand for? Local opera. I don't. I don't know. You don't even know. Thanks for promoting Lola. I don't know what that is. No, it's local opera artist. It's like, got like it's feeding got some, them. No, no, like a uh, you know they'll come out and do sing. opera at the brewery. Right, right. Is it a brew pub? It's more of a brewery. It is a brewery. Okay. I mean, they've got space to where you can go in and drink and. But it's they invited cool, opera people. Cool they they have a, it's it's not just your standard <laughs> brewery. They do have a they do have a full tap room, so like you can just go in. Glorious. And, I, I'll admit. I'll admit. Fourth tap is glorious. I'm the guy that pulls. Oh, microbrewery, sweet. Pulls in. There's the the hipster out there with his ukulele. All right, put it in reverse. Let's go somewhere else. <laughs> I'm picturing pulling in. There's some opera singers out there. Maybe I just maybe I just hit the gas and well, you know if if, if, if like, you know if I'm getting out of my if I'm getting out of my car and like all of a sudden there's a, they're, they're chanting you know you know Carmina Barana you know <laughs> and I just feel that it just building up like I'm here to drink People beer. Up. Vesti, <laughs> la Juba. What? He, it's the first time Ted's ever done his opera signal. I know. He went to college for opera singing. We, ne- we never heard it before. I, know. I like it. 
All right. Good job, Fourth Tap Brewing Co-op. And their beer is really good. It really is. This is just a a, a weird one because uh, it's a lot of grapefruit and and not too much bitterness um, from a, an American style IPA. But I will say this: four beers in, and I would I would say this one beer in. I like it. It's very in- yeah. I do too. It's a so in, in terms of the IPA. Keep profile, in mind, I, I like it. Keep in mind, a week ago in Texas, I met my daughter's soccer game. It's thirty degrees. And freezing. <laughs> Today we hit about eighty-seven, eighty-eight. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm in shorts. Uh, it tastes really, really good. I know we always say that this is a good summer beer, but I mean, <laughs> it, it is very refreshing. But I, 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 if you if you just gave me this thing, there's no way I would say uh, it's an American IPA. Really? Because I mean, you would blind test this up against Sculpin, uh, the grapefruit Sculpin. And, and see that all it's not the, that di- that do you dissimilar. Agree, Yax? All the all the bitterness is is right on the mouthfeel, right on the True. initial impact, and then it's it's just yeah. nothing but but kind of that grapefruit on the backside. But it it still has mouthfeel though. It's not like the Medusa that will you know yeah. once once it got through it was gone forever. That's true. It, it does, uh, it does I mean, have it, a nice this, linger. This clings it's, around. It's too. got a nice little linger. Uh, I yeah, like I'm it. Kinda, I, I'm kind of cool. I, with I, it. I do like it. Um, okay. Well. Uh, it has a presence which should do well against the, a, a strong cigar. Uh, keep smoking, boys. Um, before going into tonight's movie of Robot Ninja, we are going to now cut to our interview with J.R. Bookwalter, uh, director, writer, distributor, oh, this is editor, cool. composer of Robot Ninja. It's a oh, fun yeah. talk. If you like indie movies, if you've even like gotten halfway into the craft, it's it's just so cool to this hear guy, guy this guy it. has done it all uh, 80s and beyond so uh, let's cut now to our interview done earlier this evening with J.R. Bookwater and then we'll come back and we will walk you through Robot Ninja alright uh, I'd like to introduce our special guest for tonight's show uh, writer, director, editor, composer, distributor you name it he's done it in the underground filmmaking world uh, Mr. J.R. Bookwater J.R. thank you for being here with us my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the pleasure is all ours. Let me just preface this discussion. Uh, as a horror kid who was born in the small town of Alliance, Ohio, uh, and then was shuffled off at a young age to an even smaller town in Central Texas, uh, JR's story was always somewhat of an inspiration to me. Um, hence why we'll smoke the Inspirado cigar this evening. Uh, uh, hey. See? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Life's um, just all about winning. <laughs> but knowing that the little town where I was born and all my family still lives, uh, that you know that Jr. was off making these these you know crazy movies just up the, up the road, it just uh, I always knew his name. Um, here we had a fellow horror kid turned filmmaker from a tiny town, Ohio, uh, made one of the classic uh, straight to video zombie films of all time. Uh, he dropped out of film school. I also dropped out of. Film classes, close enough, <laughs> uh, to make my first zombie flick during summer break from college. I just, I just always held that name, J.R. Bookwalter, up there as someone who defied the odds and broke through like I hope to someday. Uh, and if memory serves me, I actually think I submitted my little zombie film to J.R.'s Tempe uh, Entertainment way back when, but uh, my memory doesn't serve me so great these days, so I'm not sure. I wonder why. 
What was Drink the title? Drink another uh, beer. Smoke some I'll kill. What was it? Smoke some kill. It was a black and white. Uh, it, 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 we referred to the zombies as clones, and um, it was a, it was a gang of criminals kind of uh, harvested these clones for some evil scientists and. Um, well, it's enough about me. It had its charm, <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, we, we we had a little trouble finding a, a home. It wasn't quite as clever and brilliant as as perhaps I thought it was. Um, decades later, he's decades like, later. "Oh, so you're the guy." <laughs> Anywho, uh, having you here holds a special meaning for me. So, uh, just thank you again, Jr. Um, let's My pleasure. That was quite an introduction. Uh, well, let's dive right into the. Uh, Let's get things started by talking about the seminal zombie film, uh, if we may be so bold. Let's talk just briefly um, about The Dead Next Door, 1989, uh, the film that started it all. As most diehard horror fans of the 80s will certainly know the story, uh, I'll recap quickly for our listeners who are in the dark. Uh, upon viewing the original Evil Dead, and correct me if this is wrong, uh, J.R. wrote a letter to Sam Raimi asking him to take a look at some of his early short films. Possibly, I think to get a, a job, uh, you know, on the on Raimi's production team. And next thing you know, you're traveling to Detroit to show your short films in person to Sam Raimi, his producing partner Rob Tappert, and Bruce Campbell. And yada yada yada. Raimi soon decides to executive produce your feature film debut, The Dead Next Door. Is that close? Uh, pretty close, actually. The the way it went down is I called their office and left a, a voice, or not a voicemail. This is before the left a message on their answering machine, and um, a few days later got a call back from Sam Raimi, and uh, we talked for a little bit. He put me on with Bruce Campbell. I, my goal was really to, at that point, I was looking to do like an industrial videos and and just i was kind of wanting to take the george romero route not i wasn't really looking to make a feature but i was looking to get in on the ground floor as maybe a production assistant they were in early 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 uh planning for evil dead 2 at that point and i was a huge fan of of the first film of course and um but yeah then basically that led to him saying well come on up and we'll meet and uh you know i dragged my super 8 projector and a selection of my short films and uh the rest is history, as they say. Uh, well, that's that's one of those stories, you know, you you hear, and it's just too insane to to possibly be true. Uh, <laughs> well, there's so many. I still don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's so many zombies in the Dead Next Door, and they're all created uh, very close to that classic Romero look that I love. The only way zombies kind of, I think, should look teal, blue skin, uh, you know, bright red blood splatter. Um, there's also kind of a, a Raimi influence, I think, with the kind of demon um, aesthetic and then maybe a little bit of Fulci. I just love the look of the dead in Dead Next Door. And from the very first scene, you start the film off in these wide shots where the undead are just fucking everywhere and they're eating everybody in sight and it's just so bloody and absolutely glorious. Uh, the bit where the severed zombie head bites the guy's hand and then you see the finger... <laughs> Slide come out, out, come out his, throat. his throat is still one in any horror movie is one of my favorite gore bits. Um, I imagine a big chunk of the budget. I think the budget was around one fifty, one seventy five. Uh, was a big chunk of that makeup, special effects needed just to kind of set the film apart from all the others, the horror stuff out there. 
Believe it or not, no. Um, the problem was I, the budget ultimately came in probably closer to 125. We, uh, nobody really knows what the actual number was because it drug out over four years, so it was quite a, uh, an adventure. But we really oh, probably, wow. to be honest, probably pissed away a good chunk of the budget with delays and overhead. We had a, a number of these different shabby offices that we had that, where we were trying to run things out of. And I mean, there were, the makeup effects were probably one of the smaller portions of the budget, which always surprises people because it's such a yeah. big part of the movie. But um, no, those guys were really resourceful and did, did tons of stuff with with very little. Um, but, you know, we had, there was probably about over 1,500 people at the, that we counted up that came out from Northeast Ohio to be extras in that thing. So it's we, just had a- this, you know, we had wardrobe, we had to put in costume all these people and, and put makeup on them and all that. So, I mean... I don't know what the actual what we actually spent on makeup, but I do know it was it was a smaller portion of the budget. The the, the big mistakes that we made along the way certainly cost more than that stuff did. Well, that that makes sense. Uh, for the listeners, how did you pull off those shots of the undead trying to climb the the fence on Pennsylvania Avenue to get to the White House, or when we see them marching towards the Washington Monument? I mean, there's no way in hell you could pull off stuff like that today. Like. Was that just run and gun, just jump out of the, the van and, and film until they almost arrest you? Or <laughs> Well, yeah, we very nearly got arrested, basically. But, um, yeah, because I had early in the pre-production down there to the film office and, and tried to do it through the official channels. And they basically said, well, it's going to cost this much to do this, this much to do that. You'll have to get, the, you know, hire police, blah, blah, blah. And then she ended it by saying, under no circumstances can you have anybody on the White House fence. So, you know, me being the young kid I was and being <laughs> undeterred, I was like, well, we're just going to, we'll just go down there and shoot it. So we oh, shot really? basically the bulk of the rest of the film, and then we decided to drive down there in two vehicles and uh, with a ragtag group of our crew. And we said, well, all right, we're, we're going to shoot the White House stuff first in case we get caught. So that's the most important. And to keep, to keep in mind, we're shooting on Super 8 film, so the cameras very small it's not like sure you know, we have a huge rig of stuff <laughs> but it was basically everybody got made up while we were driving around the ellipse you know they're getting in makeup and wardrobe we jumped out i could very quickly told them okay do this do that do this you know i got i rattled off one two three different angles and as i'm shooting the third angle i'm kind of with my peripheral vision of the, to the left and to the right i'm seeing white house police coming towards us from both sides just at that moment, the uh, one vehicle came back around the ellipse, and we hightailed it out of there, jumped in the car, and drove around. By the time we made it halfway around the ellipse, the the other vehicle that we had had, had already been pulled over. They had the the CIA, the FBI, the White House police, oh, the Secret Service. <laughs> they had drug sniffing dogs. They had everything you could possibly imagine. They had pretty much closed the road off around around the White House and pulled us over. Long story short, my co-producer Scott Plummer had um, uh, had gone to the University of Akron, so he had his student ID on him. So we were able to sort of pass the whole thing off as a student project, and uh, and by some grace of God, they actually let us keep the film because I think when they saw what we were doing, they were just sort of passed it off as oh, it's just a bunch of kids goofing around or whatever. Yeah, and then uh, the the sort of the capper to the story was. They were like, well, if you, before you shoot anything else, because we did have other shots that we wanted to do, they're like, you have to go talk to the film office. So I had to go to the film office, talk to the same very nice lady who had 
told me all this probably a year prior to that um, that we wouldn't be able to do. And she was so amused by the whole story that she scribbled out a quick permit and basically let us go shoot the other shots. Basically said, just don't get in trouble. You know, stay out of everybody's <laughs> way. You can't tell people to move. You can't. You just if you can do your handful of shots. It's fine, you know. We're not. We won't. Nobody will charge you anything. And blah 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 blah. So somehow, but you know, by some miracle, we actually were able to get that footage. Yeah, yeah. Cool, uh, you're right. I was. I was there about ten years ago, and you can't even get anywhere near where we were to shoot. You know, even even walking, you you just can't even get up to the fence. Yeah, so we we shot. Big, we stuck a camera and shot a scene in a mall once, and I thought that was ballsy. Uh. <laughs> Not quite. Well, this is what you do when you're when you're 19 or 20 and and uh, you know have limited resources. You just uh, the, the film was always the thing that was the most important thing. So and and for whatever reason, the cast and crew would go along with all this crazy stuff because <laughs> I was really the only one that had any film experience. And I say that in air quotes. You know, like I all I did, all I had done was super eight short films at that point. But somehow everybody just sort of blindly followed me. Uh, well, the end result. We managed, we managed to pull it off. The end result uh, is so worth it. Um, another thing I appreciated that, that was different about the Dead Next Door was the storyline angle you injected concerning the cult factor, kind of a, a Jim Jones like cult, uh, which is something I, I hadn't seen in the, and I'd seen almost everything at that point in the genre. Uh, I thought it was smart uh, setting your your film, uh, put you know putting that angle in there. Um, where did that concept come from, um, or did you? Was that intentional to to kind of come at the the zombie genre from a di- you know from a different look? Well, it wasn't so much that it was I, I, I the movie is really a hodgepodge of sort of a lot of things in my life, I guess is the best way to put it. And when I I was just the right age, I remember as a kid when the tragedy at Guyana happened and the real Jim Jones thing where he gave you know everybody committed suicide in his name and all that it, I, and it always just sort of stuck in the back of my head you know how scary that was that somebody could have that kind of control over people and when I was I, I think was I started writing the script you know like the characters sort of made their trek to Akron and it was just about the scientists and all that and, and somewhere about that probably the halfway point as I was writing it I was like well I need something here and, and it just I don't know, it popped into my head and I just thought, well, that would be an interesting thing. I've never seen that before. And I was trying to go to great lengths to not just make a ripoff of, of George Romero's films, which, of course, are, are my, you know, among my all-time favorites. And um, so that was just, it just struck me as an interesting idea that I hadn't seen before. Uh, I think it definitely helped uh, to kind of give it its own flavor, um, you know, separate from, from a lot of the other films that were out there. Uh, well, I, I do yeah, you wanna, don't expect it because it just sort of it just becomes a whole detour that you're like it does. You know, it, the, it, the zombie squad's kind of going on their mission, and then suddenly it's like, wait a minute, what's what just happened here? Exactly, uh, and, and I and I like stuff that kind of comes out unexpected like that too. Um, I, I do want to move on, but real quick, am I correct uh, before we move on from the dead next door? Am I correct in that none of the sound that you shot on location? when uh when you rapped was usable so you sat down in the studio with bruce campbell and pretty much recreated the entire soundtrack yeah what happens with with it was there's two ways to record sound for super 8 film one is is called single system where the sound stripes actually on the film and, it, and it's the quality's not great and we 
really didn't do that. That was sort of a guide track. What we did was double system sound, where we had a separate reel-to-reel -reel recorder that was recording. The stock was actually like Super 8 magnetic full coat stock, for lack of a better explanation. But what happened is we, we had recorded all the sound on location, and um, it wasn't so much the quality of the sound, it was the technical and logistical problems of, of being able to use it. You had to transfer it to 35 full coat and then sync it all up. It was just going to cost even more money and be just a, a nightmare and, and maybe not even, you know, the quality wouldn't have been that great in the in the end anyway. So it was just sort of deemed that the easiest thing to do was just to treat it as a blank slate audio-wise and just pretty much start from scratch. And um, that was kind of Sam's call and I said, okay, let's whatever it would take to get it finished. And he turned to Bruce Campbell who had done the, a lot of this, this sound, the post-production of sound work for the, the, their early films. And um, he basically, you know, said, Bruce, sit down with this guy, figure out what he needs and let's get this sucker finished. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's yeah, cool. that's what we did. We spent, I think Bruce and I spent about a month or something like that, a month and a half. Um, and I was actually, I had shipped all my gear out. I was in, you know, this all happened in LA. And um, I was out there for something else, and just as a happenstance that this even came about. Because otherwise, I think the film would have probably languished even longer it, in limbo. It just seems like such a mountainous uh, hurdle to overcome, as far as. Uh, but I guess if you're going to do it, there's more a lot more boring characters you could be stuck with for six weeks than bruce campbell uh, oh no absolutely bruce was great and i mean it was it was a learning experience for me because really it was the first my first look at you know we were in a 24 track studio and it was the first time i was seeing the process i made a read about it and all that kind of stuff but to re i really learned uh, so much through that entire process and you know it, it, even there would be times where i might not agree with bruce or whatever i'd be like oh i don't agree with that decision i'm mad at him now and you know, he'd crack some joke or whatever and make some quip, and then it's like, I can't be mad at him. It's Bruce Campbell, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, that was, I have very vivid memories of that whole experience and, and learned so hey. much. And it really, I mean, it, the, the main thing is it just helped get the film done so that we could get on to the next phase of it. And you have recently upscaled that to 4K? Well, no, we went, I went back to the Super 8 film and did a 2K film scan from the original film and, and basically reassembled the whole thing. And, and part of that process, I was able to actually take that original uh, audio with the original cast members and, and rebuild that mix. There was a few holes in it where I had to fill with, with some of the existing dubbed mix. But anyways, I was able to cobble back together so you can actually, on the Blu-ray version now, you can actually watch the film kind of four different ways you can watch it uh, 16 by 9 you know like a like a regular HD television right. you can watch it in the original aspect ratio and you can watch it with the two audio tracks the the dub the original dub track that Bruce Campbell did and the uh, original cast mix where you hear the people's voices for the first first time oh wow oh wow that I didn't know that was on there that's awesome uh, you can get that on Amazon uh, yes yeah cool. it's available through Amazon or the Tempe video online store it's pretty much available everywhere right now through uh, our distributor okay. sweet well uh up next um robot ninja nine. we're going to talk about that just here in a little bit uh so i'd like to kind of give you the floor uh for robot ninja so but i would like to touch on a few other early efforts 
which are all currently available for streaming on Amazon, either via Prime or for rental. Uh, for tonight's show, we watched uh, Dead Next Door. On mm-hmm. uh, uh, we all rented it off Amazon, and Correct. then uh, yep. Robot Ninja was on on Prime. Yep. I have a few questions for Jr. about that. I also watched Maximum Impact in a little bit. And maximum impact. Uh, oh God! Which I'm about. It's funny. It's funny you. It's funny you say that, Tut. Uh, but real quick, I do have one question uh, before we talk about the Robot Ninja campaign, Jr. Wa- sure. Watching Robot Ninja, the gang leader's name, Buddy Ravel. That can't be a coincidence. Sharing that name with the tough kid from Three O'clock High. No, that that was absolutely stolen from Three O'clock High. That okay. Nice. Totally, and I saw it. And- I don't know. For some reason, it just seemed like the perfect name. For well, I love I love character. that I love that movie. Uh, it's one of my all time favorites. <laughs> and I I spent about fifteen minutes googling it, trying to find where someone had asked you that. I couldn't find anything about it. Uh, and I was like, just you know, because they're right around the same time. I think Three O'clock High was maybe eighty eight, maybe. Uh, yeah, I mean, I must have saw it right when it came out on home. Uh, well, kudos, the, the kudos on that, uh, on that, <laughs> on that shout out. Uh, I, I immediately picked that up. All right, well, moving on, we'll, we will come back to Robot Ninja. But Tut, you, you did bring up 1992's Maximum Impact. Uh, two things stuck out with me. Or on, as we like to call it. Minimum impact. <laughs> <laughs> that's what the cast and crew called it. Minimum impact. <laughs> oh, that's. Well, I guess that might uh, answer this first question I have. Uh, the use of pseudonyms in the film credits on this one, uh, directed by Lance oh, yeah. Randis, edited by Daryl Squat Pump, uh, cinematography by Brock N. Lenz. Uh, you know, sometimes That's a little on the nose, right? You know, a little bit. You know, sometimes filmmakers will 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 fluff their credits. Uh, give you know give stuff they did they'll give fake names just to seem more professional you know you don't want to see the same guy's name 20 times in the credits so they'll give uh i was going to ask if that was an attempt to do that or just to keep your name as as off this as as possible i'm guessing maybe that was uh the latter maybe uh well when it was when it was first released on vhs in 92 91 92 it was um uh, it had my name on it, so if you and even and if you look on the IMDb, my name is still on it. Um, the Lance Randis thing was sort of that was always a, a pseudonym that I used when I didn't, you know, made something that I was less proud of, let's say. So I I tried to attempt to I, I guess maybe rewrite history, but that that's <laughs> dramatic. But, uh, everybody that knows my films knows that I made all those films. There was there was actually that was. The, sort of the middle part of a, a what I call a six pack of shot on video films for um, cinema home video at the time that were made uh, in ninety in ninety ninety later part of ninety one and the first part of ninety two. So that was that's actually probably I, I won't say it's one of the more watchable ones, but it's, it is it's, 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 it's a little better than what it is highly watched. It is highly watchable. I actually watched it first. I told these guys I was like, man, it's it's a little over an hour. It flows really, really quickly. I mean, you can see that you're working with, with nothing on, especially on this one. Um, but I, uh, what was the budget? Do you mind if I ask? They were. We would shoot them with. The, there was. It was shot back to back with another film called Chick Boxer, and, and it was basically two movies for five grand. And then after that, we did a uh, two movies called Galaxy of the Dinosaurs and Humanist from Atlantis that were two movies for twenty five hundred dollars. So they were. Yeah, there was. 
literally no money. Yeah, so that's um, well, that's, gorilla, that's gorilla at its best. It's it's yeah. it's a movie for twenty five hundred bucks that that flows that, and that actually leads me to a point with the next film I want to talk to you about. But uh, speaking of throwing a you know a fake name on on a project. Uh, with your permission, Jr., would you mind if I go back to my old films and throw the name Marty Coleslaw on all my? Uh... <laughs> Not at all. Okay. <laughs> I, I encourage people to. In fact, some of the names that, that there, there's one that we've used over and over called Yolanda Squapom, and that, that's actually been adopted by other filmmakers and put in their credits, which I think is hysterical. So, uh, nice. Um, it, it, uh, those those names are uh, public domain. I guess. Oh right. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> One last question about Maximum Impact, because uh, I really did get a kick out of this little flick. But there's a dialogue scene um, where some bad guys are swapping stories about their most gruesome kills. And one guy tells a tale about chopping off some poor bastard named Tony Timponi's cock and balls and mailing them to his mom, who has a heart attack when she opens the box. Was that a playful jab at longtime Fangoria editor? Tony Temponi, or was there like some real bad beef with you where you're like, you <laughs> no, know, no, I'm no, sending Tony all, a message. I'm sending Tony a message here. No, totally playful. Um, I mean, Tony was responsible for, for the Dead Next Door coverage. They, they did an excellent four page spread in the magazine. I remember, that, I written. still have it actually. I mean, that's really how everybody first heard about this movie, and, and I think even some people still you remember that article to this day. So there was, it was certainly uh, more of a loving. Uh, jab than anything else okay just a way to put his <laughs> well that's, name that, 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 that's that, cool that's good to know because I, I tony always seemed like such a nice guy i was like man <laughs> I, I hope this was uh it was was done in fun yeah um, was probably probably should have put use that his name elsewhere in the movie <laughs> well uh i want to touch on one more uh early film uh, i could go on and on here but i gotta i gotta stop it at some point uh 95 a few years later the sandman which is also currently on, on Amazon Prime. Uh, despite the minuscule budgets, uh, one of the things I appreciate in these films, uh, which is very much on display in The Sandman, is despite the filmmaking tools that you used available to you, I mean, you're, you're shooting on video, you're directing clearly you know, inexperienced actors for the most part. There's a very disciplined approach taken with the camera work. Uh, long pans, really well thought out creative cuts, and with Sandman, you even utilize kind of an almost Carpenter-esque score to really good effect. Uh, I got kind of notes of They Live and the Village of the Dam score uh, kind of mine. Uh, these are things I just notice time and time again in your films. And it's it, these little things like how you move the camera, how you cut, and the music. I mean, they they add to the production really rising above its means. Um, obviously, Romero was a huge influence, like you said, but... You know, after watching this and thinking back on some of your other stuff, I mean, was was Carpenter a big one too? Oh, huge! Yeah, no, I mean, it, the, he would probably be, I would dare say, number two or three easily. Um, and and his he shows shows up in some of the other films I've done, like Ozone um, has a, a, a number of scenes that are sort of ripped right out of you know Carpenter's uh, mythology too. So I mean, it, it, yeah, there was I I always tried to put my own spin on things but i'm i'm a fanboy at heart probably first and foremost than, than anything else so that stuff just seeps in you know whether it's intentional or not it, it just it, it just lends itself to that i mean the sandman in particular was probably more the fog inspired by wes craven of course with oh, okay the i i saw a lot of the fog in uh 
But yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's interesting that you pick up on those. I mean, the my my more direct influence was the Nightmare on Elm Street, of course. But uh, okay. But yeah, I mean, once you know, the just the whole it just seemed like a very Carpenter esque sort of situation in this trailer park with this you know cast of misfits. Well, it did, and just the the way you set the in movie after movie, the way you kind of set establish these small Ohio towns um, is is kind of a, a very carpenter kind of approach of you know um just absolute ordinary houses corner stores and all that but um along with the the scores and the and the editing it just they, they, it, you do a very good job of establishing dread quickly um or like in maximum impact you just sum up uh, a really depressing existence uh, very very quickly. Uh, Alright, well this is, uh, I'll stop there as far as the this is your filmmaking life portion of the interview. Uh, I could go on and on, but maybe we'll we'll get to chat uh, and pick up, pick up where we left off uh, in the future. The reason you're with us tonight, JR, is talk about the new Indiegogo campaign you've just launched to promote the uh, brand new 2K restoration Blu-ray release of 1989's Robot Ninja. Uh, JR, the floor is yours. Uh, tell us and our listeners and our viewers um, a bit about the process of going back to the original 16mm AB roll uh, and breathing new life into Robot Ninja. And you know, tell us a little bit about what a crowdsourcing site like Indiegogo can do to help you know complete the mission, if you will. Sure. Uh, one thing I'll probably point out uh, first is that the Robot Ninja is actually my second film shot uh, in the summer of 89 um, but Dead Next Door was the first one and, but because there was about a year gap from when Dead Next Door was uh, finished to when it was actually first released on VHS, Robot Ninja actually came out first so oh, Dead okay. Next Door is, is actually the release date of Dead Next Door is actually 1990 but the, the Robot Ninja is 89 so anyways, what happened was um, with Robot Ninja was this was a situation I jumped into really immediately after finishing Dead Next Door, and um, it was a just it was more of an opportunity that that was afforded to me um, because I was going to produce a, a film for another filmmaker, a horror anthology that that wound up not happening. And the same financier said, "Well, what do you have? So let's, let's you and I do something." I saw some of Dead Next Door. Maybe we can put something together. And I. I all my projects I had at the time, I, I didn't want to do them for a, a low budget, so I, I didn't really have anything, but he threw out this title, Robot Ninja, and he said, can you make something out of this? Now, keep in mind, this is the late 80s, and, and all there's tons of, like, you know, Robot Terminator, The Terminator, all these kind of movies going on, and stupid me, I decided, well, sure, I'll make this, but I'm going to sort of make it a different way. You know, it's not... It's not the most obvious thing that you would think of would be a, a literally to make a movie about a robot ninja. No. Instead, I decided to make a movie about a frustrated comic book artist who decides to uh, become his most famous character in the hopes of uh, avenging the... This, uh, taking taking his uh, wrath out on this gang that's terrorizing the small town that he lives in. So it immediately was sort of like uh, a different flavor and a completely different film from the dead next door because it's it's much darker and it's certainly more probably more gruesome even than than the dead next door and um when the film came out originally i was not terribly pleased with it uh it, <laughs> it got uh, 
so a, a number of very scathing reviews, uh, the, the, <laughs> not the least of which was, I think, uh, Weekly Variety just completely savaged it. Fangoria ripped it a new one. Um, it was not a particularly well-liked movie. So oddly, it's the one movie in my entire catalog that has sort of been lost to time because it was released uh, in 1989 on VHS and then never again. It kind of completely skipped the whole DVD era. Um, it really wasn't even available on streaming up until recently when I, I put it up there. And um, so it, it just sort of lent itself to all my other films have had some sort of remastering or restoration work. Uh, over the years, but this was sort of the one that that was sort of lost by the the wayside. So the negative turned up. Uh, the, the original cut, 16 millimeter cut negative, turned up about uh, two years ago, and that was sort of the impetus to to kind of do this because um, much like the Dead Next Door, it was pretty much a process of just doing a two a two K scan of the original film negative, and um, and then just assemble it, and we're doing new titles and. You know, just obviously cleaning it up as much as we possibly can, and uh, complementing that with tons of, of new extras. And uh, uh, if anybody who bought the Dead Next Door Ultimate Edition on Indiegogo three years ago probably has a good idea of what to expect, but we're trying to go even a little bit further uh, than than that film. So this is this this one is more Dead Next Door was kind of an easy sell because it had a reputation. People right. Knew, about the movie. Robot Ninja is sort of an, an unknown to a lot of people. I mean, it has its core group of people and mostly a lot of VHS collectors remember it fondly. But uh, beyond that, it's sort of like having to re-educate the public about what this movie is and, and how it was lost to time in the first place. Well, let's say it seems like you're getting quite a bit of Twitter action off of it. I've been seeing a, quite a few people share it around. Uh, I believe you launched it maybe two or three days ago and it's already at about 25%. I mean, it... Uh, it seems like a very strong start. Along with using Indiegogo as far as pre-orders for folks just to pre-order the Blu-ray, there's also, like most of these campaigns, there's levels where maybe they can buy more, get you know T-shirts. There's, there's kind of different incentives, correct? Yeah, I mean, and we're adding, I, I, because it's a 60-day campaign, the, the first time I did this with, with the Next Door, it was only a 30-day campaign, and that's kind of stressful on me because it just, you know, you kind of have to be on your game and the Indiegogo, the whole crowdfunding thing is not, when I did it the first time I didn't realize that it actually is almost like a full-time job in itself to sort of keep that, you know, keep the momentum going and pushing it. So I, this time I decided to spread it out over 60 days, which I thought would be less stressful on me. <laughs> and, uh, and that makes to sense. Facilitate, to facilitate that, where every Friday I'm putting up a new perk, you know, something, something new just to kind of spice things up. And uh, the main thing, of course, is to to push the Blu-ray and allow people to, to pre-order it. Um, the first 500 units will have a Indiegogo exclusive slip cover, so that's sort of the main impetus to, to buy it there. I mean, there will be copies that will be available. Obviously, we're, we're pressing 1,000 units to start with, so there will be copies available elsewhere down, later down the line, but without the, the slip cover. And of course, a lot of the perks are pretty much exclusive to Indiegogo. There's a couple of books. There's a comic book adaptation of the movie uh, oh, like cool. t-shirts yeah. and things like that. So very cool. Okay, uh, and more to it's come. Quite like meta. Said, we're, we're rolling out a few things. Here. Uh, well, everyone, go check out the Indiegogo campaign. Um, real quick, I, I think we have a unique opportunity here as, as filmmakers to kind of pick your brain. As I said, we watched all of your films, either renting them on Amazon or streaming on Prime. As 
you know, as your own distributor through the Tempe label, did you consider Netflix? Was there reasons why, pros and cons, why you went the Amazon route? Or um, what 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 makes that decision a Netflix? Or is, is Netflix not a decision? Is that either they they have to welcome you, whereas Amazon is a little more open arms? Well, it's a funny story. I go back to, um, I'm trying to remember what year it was, but if you remember when Netflix first launched their streaming service, when it was only available on this little Roku box before anybody knew what a Roku box was, that's all that box did. Um, we were on, I had always done business with Netflix on the DVD side. They were very supportive and, and bought every title that I released. And when they launched the um, streaming service, they were not getting any interest from the studios or from you know even the the bigger independent labels. So smaller labels like me were, I mean, we had a red carpet treatment. I mean, they were they brought all the stuff in. They had a great deal at the beginning um, where they were paying some absurd money, like fifty cents per stream or something like that. I mean, which seems rich compared to what Amazon pays now. Yeah. Uh, so when when they started this service. I was getting these ridiculous checks every month, looking at them going, I can't believe that this is crazy <laughs> that people are watching this stuff and the checks are coming in. Well, yeah. flat forward about seven, eight months later, they come, Netflix approaches me and says, well, look, uh, this, you know, we're, we're burning through a lot of money here. We didn't expect to. So we're going to, we need to change the deal. It's either you kind of, we take your stuff off the service or we'll just license it for a flat fee. So I said, okay, they went ahead and paid a license fee for everything. Uh, again, and they kept it up there for whatever two or three years. Well, during that two or three years, they made this deal with Stars. If you remember when that they made a big deal about that, that actually yeah. enabled them to get some some Hollywood movies and some studio stuff. Right, and that was really their first sort of taste of like this is what they wanted their streaming service to be. So eventually, the long story short, we got kicked out the door. They when the contracts were up and. And all that they didn't need the independence anymore. Uh, well, that, <laughs> that that fits kind of what I was thinking because those early days of Netflix streaming were glorious. There were so many just low budget, uh, you know, movies I had only read about in Fangoria all those years that all of a sudden were getting a home. Um, like you said, they were yeah. just uh, they it, were, they were hungry to gobble up whatever they could get. And it then, was really like the Wild West. I mean, it honestly was. It was just they they just anything they could get their hands on, and they were spending. A fortune because they they needed certain digi uh, it's called digi beta masters you know higher end masters and they were right. paying to transfer the stuff and they were all the costs were on them and they just li they li literally rolled out the red carpet for the little labels so it was it was nice but it didn't last <laughs> well let me let me uh, so it, it's not a matter that I mean I probably could get some of these titles back on Netflix but it's a different economy the you know the guy who originally ran Netflix that I that I started with moved on to to YouTube and Google Play, so he runs that now, um, and I do business with him there as well. But um, you know Netflix is just a different animal now. They're making their own original content. They're, it's just you know they, yeah. they would like they will probably they would probably eventually license this film or that film, but they'll pick and choose what they want. So I don't think the day where they would just put up my entire catalog will probably ever happen again. Okay, I, I guess my last question, as far as the the distribution in 2018, is, you know, if a low budget filmmaker, in your opinion, pulls together five, ten grand, 
and does an ultra, you know, J.R. Bookwalter style low budget movie and gets it on to Amazon, let's say prime streaming. I mean, do you can he realistically expect to make any money off of that? I mean, how does that work from an income standpoint? Because it seems like that's the major avenue of reaching a mass audience, but does that equate to any revenues in your pocket? Not like, really. I mean, the, 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 <laughs> no, the, the I three mean, the three of us watched all streamed Maximum Impact over the last week. I mean, will will you see even a? a I mean, he'll see twenty five cents from all three. No, I, I, it'd be a little more than twenty five cents, but I, I'll probably be able to to take my family to McDonald's and only buy my kids Happy Meals. <laughs> You're welcome, Jr. <laughs> But I appreciate those. I know my kids will appreciate those. Well, I mean, how how do you make money in in the business? Well, it, no, that's the problem. I mean, DVD and Blu-ray is sort of on its way out, or at least that's what the, the you know everybody keeps saying. Uh, it's turned into a more of a collector's market. You know, something like right. these rest. When you restore a movie and you put it out, you can probably still sell a couple thousand discs uh, sure. over time. You know, with the streaming is is all the rage now. But the reality, the economic reality, is that it's it's just you know digital pennies essentially it's not it, it there's not a real it, and one a, per, a, a person with one film putting on amazon prime is is likely to never recoup their budget to be honest That's... and amazon just changed they just changed the rules of the game starting march 1st now you have to hit some extremely high number of uh, hours of streaming before you before you fall into a tier where you even get any sort of anything that would be approximating any kind of real royalty. Yeah, I mean, every, everybody else that is below that threshold is going to be making literally pennies per hour. Well, on that depressing sorry, note... Sorry to depress you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, no, I, I appreciate you being candid, and I, I thought you... I kind of had a sense maybe you would be a good guy to ask as far as, as that concern. Um, look, JR, uh, we could talk here all night but i just want to wish you the best of luck uh with the robot ninja campaign everyone out there uh watching us listening to us uh whether you're uh one of our beer listeners whether you're a cigar guy whether you're your film guy um go check out just watch the trailer on the indiegogo site uh you can find it on facebook robot ninja uh or and you can find it on Instagram. Has a really good, uh, you're really uh, good at keeping the yeah. Instagram page going. Uh, check those out. Um, and if you can hear this, you know, go. Let's go rent some movies and uh, or even uh, stream off Amazon Prime. Let's get some Happy Meals going. Let's get some Happy Meals for <laughs> Jr's kids. Damn it! Uh, a lot of the catalog is now on Vimeo on demand, and that that actually is uh, a place that I sort of encourage people to to, to watch the stuff. I mean, that we because they they are at least the rentals. And even the purchases, most of the titles are like five bucks. You know, you can own it and stream it anytime you want. And um, even if you rent it, you know, you can you can keep it for like a week. You know, well, you have a week to watch a rental, which most places would be Vimeo. lucky to get twenty four oh, hours. Vimeo. Okay, okay. Uh, and then also they can go to tempevideo.com to your store where they can buy hard copies of all your DVDs, uh, dead next door posters, uh, all sorts of cool stuff. Um, yeah. So and that's quarter pounder money that's the good stuff um, JR um, 
I, I feel like I've been I've been building up to this interview since I was a, a little kid. Thank you so much for spending some time with us tonight. Uh, we wish you all the best with Robot Ninja and uh, all your other projects. And uh, maybe we'll maybe we'll touch base again down the road and talk some more. Sounds good. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, Mr. Bookwalter. Have a good night. You too. Oh, that was a good talk. Uh, That's pretty cool, man. Man, I love talking to guys who've actually been in the. Not just talkers, guys have actually done it all, man. Done they, it. They've done, done it. it. Uh, yeah. That's what I do not miss about dabbling in the film world. A lot of talkers, a lot of bullshitters, and uh, JR is not that. He, he seems to have a really centered piece about his place in film history and what he's doing and what he's done. And uh, man, that was fun. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, it's easy to be critical and be the reviewer, and everybody has an opinion. And, you know, I'm not saying that if you haven't, your opinion's not valid, but there's there's a difference when you've actually tried to do something. It's a difference when you've actually put together a short, put together an episodic you know, project, put together a full-length feature. You understand all the freaking trials and tribulations that go into that and it's hard for me to like it, it, it's hard for me to look at a project now and say oh that sucks or that person's a hack or whatever because I know how difficult it is now so we can do Tremor movies again? no uh, not, not quite there the uh. end of the year <laughs> not quite there okay in prior approval, it was will be required. It was a good talk, and he seems like a really good dude. So yes, uh, that was fun. Absolutely, yeah, do, definitely uh, check out his uh, Indiegogo. You know, throw some money. Let's let's get this thing to two K. Let's do it. Uh, before I walk us through the movie of the night, Robot Ninja, Tut. Uh, before we get too sloshed, you want to do some links? Yeah, I was about to say the beer's kind of flowing, so I need to get this out of the way quickly. Uh, hit us on Twitter at TNCCCast. Uh, Instagram, TNCC underscore podcast. Join us on Facebook, Tuesday Night Space Cigar Club. Join us on YouTube, which is like Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Tuesday Night? Just type in Tuesday Night Cigar Club, and you know we'll pop Seems up there. Got a couple more subscriptions last week, so I that was kind of cool. I saw that. Was... Uh, so uh, also uh, join to the website first of all. If you're going to buy a cigar, uh, go to uh, the famous smoke shop link. Uh, also, let me point you to the Sweet Jane link that is on the website. Uh, my wife loves Fat Bottom Betty's, and I did not call her that. She loves the cigar Fat Bottom Betty's. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Hit the website up if you're going to uh, buy something off of Amazon. You know, just go to our website, click the Amazon link, then do your shopping from there. Uh, helps us pay the bills. And thank you for the guys that have already done that. Uh, that was very nice. Thank God, you. I think I'm thank done. You. Thank you from the bottom of our dark, drunken hearts. Not quite yet. We're getting there, but almost. We are dark hearts, though. Yeah, we are. And, and, indeed. Um. Real quick before I do do Robot Ninja, um, the cigar we were all now probably about an inch or, or more into it. We're getting going. Immediately we had some strength. We had a, a strong, lingering, uh, tingling in the nose. Yeah. But I think we all agreed uh, leather was the yes the the flavor of the of the day early on. Anything else, guys? 
It's so weird that I'm just so having such a hard time wrapping my head around a macanudo with, with balls. Well, you know, there's that strength. <laughs> that was, I guess, nice, maybe? Well, it's just, it's the number one selling mild cigar in the world. The original Macanudo. Uh, you know, they are just known. Cody, as I mentioned earlier, just smoked those things. I smoked. Yeah. Uh, just, it's a perfect morning breakfast. I smoked, I smoked boxes of those things. Boxes of those things. And, tin, they, you know, some of the little tins you'd have oh, with your I, coffee. Those are, those are the best oh, the ones. Tins? Yeah, the little yeah. tins. Yeah, the, the tins I, mean, I, I have. This I mean, is, you know, when you Cody was the one who actually turned me on to the Macanudo tins. When you, when you, I was like, you know, hey, when I wanted to, you know, one of the things that I always loved is, just you know, grab a little smoke when you're driving down the road on a long car trip. Just open one up and just relax. Yeah, a little enjoy bit, the ride. A little bit into this, I'm I'm getting much less uh, presence in the retro hail in the nose. Uh, it is nice, but there's. I think we were originally correct. There's not a lot of pepper or spice. It, you just yeah, it, it, there's a strength there, and it's, but it's not pepper. I'm getting just a almost. Hint of a of a of a creaminess, but not really. Yeah, yeah. it's like just and I, barely. I, there. I don't know how to describe that other but, uh, than like that's saying kinda, that's kind of like the uh, the jalapa that's kind of like kicking it, or the not the jalapa, the omotepe. Omotepe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, having having had the opportunity to smoke those individual elements at a blending seminar, you kind of get a feel for what those are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that creaminess might be that omotepe a little bit. Yeah. I could just see us going down to Nicaragua, and they're like, "Hey, do you want to try our new brand? No, I just no, want to try that Ometepe." Right just there, let me just shove my up. face like Scarface with the Coke. Just let me bury my fucking face in the Ometepe. Oh yeah. <sighs> no, because I mean, because it, it's so you know. We talked uh, with uh, Skip, and he was like, "Whether I don't, I don't know if I believe you or not, Skip." But it was like, yeah, I don't taste, you know, bread and ginger and all that. I taste Lajero, Ometepe, Jalapa. Uh, and I guess for, you know, those guys who that's their business to know freaking blends, you know, that makes sense. And so I'm trying to kind of get to there, but the only way to get to there is to smoke the ice, the isolated rolls. Um, I, leather, uh, I, I, I do get a little bit, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> a little bit of that. Very subdued cream you guys are talking about. Yeah. yeah. I'm also getting a, a, a kind of an oaky woodsiness um, yeah. in with that yeah. leather. Um, it took me a minute to kind of discern what the, the woodsy... with poison ivy. The woodsiness. A little, you get a little... I, I got poison oak. Poison uh, oak. Uh, but no, le- leather, uh, woodsy, uh, it, it is a full-bodied cigar. Uh, I, I wouldn't suggest smoking this on an empty stomach. Um... Oh God, Ty! You didn't have to supper, did you? <laughs> um, I'm enjoying it. it. It's it's good. It's got a nice profile to it. Great draw. Nice. Not a lot of complexity early on, but no. but, but I, I mean honestly, if I you know, like, if you took the wrapper off, had me smoke it, and say, "Who made this?" <laughs> Macanudo would not be my first choice. No, of course <laughs> not. Um, interesting. Okay, well, I will come back to it, and I and I and I think the beer is is fine with it. Um, it's not bringing anything out of the cigar, but the they're they're, they're playing then, they're playing nice with each other. I was a little you know after you described the cigar, I was a little hesitant, thinking, hmm, this very floral IPA is how's that going to react with this? They're okay, yeah, yeah, they're doing okay with each other so far. But as we've come to learn, things can change on a dime with cigars or beer. Well, not beers, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much, you, you drink one, you know what it is. Uh, 
I'm getting something in this tenth beer that I didn't get anything else. I hate my mom. I ha- I have had. Did <laughs> <laughs> I say that loud? I don't hate my mom. I'm just teasing. I have had beers that have changed actually on the travel down. Like the front of the mouth tastes different than the back of the mouth, which I have, and I mean some very distinct. And you're not drunk. Opposite you're flavors. actually noticing the sober. Right, and it's to me that's amazing that you know. A blender has that kind of craft that's like, all right, I want them to taste this on the tip. I want them to taste this on the dill. Uh, But but you're right. It's consistent. Even when it's complex like that, it's consistent the entire beer. The the only time I will notice differences is I've been getting a lot of growlers from my local brewery lately. And I will notice that even though it's from the same tap wall, the beer that I drink sitting at the bar there, when they put it in a growler and I bring it home I don't know what happens but it does kind of take on a different it, it ages. personality mean, no yeah. I'm talking like an hour later like I'm drinking at the thing they fill growler I go home and I pour one I don't know about that and I don't know what that is they can't they can't keep it sealed but I will make it my life's work to find out what it is <laughs> that's what I do I'm a Cody, you were about to say what? They keep it sealed? It's like anything else. As soon as it gets poured in and, and they, and they cap temp- it. Probably a temperature thing. Temperature. I mean, it's going to lose a little bit of that initial carp- carbonation. Carbonation. And I, so, think, and I think even uh, you know the thicker growlers, even in the fridge, they don't get that cold. No. So they, they serve warmer, which we know is what some beers actually benefit from that. Yes. But, um, you know, we're beer scientists. We, we, we drink to learn and to uh, research, if you well, will. And, you know, like I said, I'm when it comes to beer, I don't like ice-cold beer. Yes, people get their... Uh, just, you see the commercial, they pull those bottles out of a tub of ice, like, Bush. that's the worst thing in the world. Because you can't taste anything. No. You can just taste your throat being <laughs> it's frozen. It's cold liquid. Mm. Yeah, but when you're out there in a 100-degree well, heat and you're hunting dove, but in your crack perfect open that wor- Coors Light, In baby. your perfect world, if if, that, if we get rid of that, what are all those little guys chiseling in the Coors Light cooler that hand you that beer out of thing? What are they going to do for a living? They already got well, fired. Are you going to hire those guys well, when They already the got fired from the North Pole. Well, I always ask the question, like, this guy's going into the Rockies to climb through these ice flows and chip out beers. Why are those beers in ice flows? They had to be produced, and now they're, like, stuck in ice. How old are they? How long have they been in there? <laughs> are they frozen? What's going on? You I've you're... got so many questions that need answers. <laughs> That's what we're all about. We're about providing yeah. answers to America. Here, I just found this one. It's been in the ice flow for eight years. Drink it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know that would be our answer. It's always our answer. <laughs> Whenever someone proposes the question, drink this. Okay. Um, I'll come back. Yes. Uh, not necessarily to the beer. You need another one. Yes, please. Uh, but I, I will also come back to the recognizing that universal symbol for don't forget me asshole <laughs> uh, okay well let's get into this movie uh, after talking to JR I really want to talk about this movie Robot Ninja Robot Ninja 1989 written directed by JR Bookwalter we start things off late one night in Ridgeway Ohio 
as a boy born in Ohio and whose family's still in Ohio, I did not research to see if Ridgeway was a real town or not. I'm going to say it's not. <laughs> Could be a lot like Shermer, Illinois. Could be. As the robot ninja himself, immediately we see him kick down the door of some bad guys and gals and deliver some ninja justice, courtesy of his wrist blades. Wrist uh, blade, he only has one. Blade. Well, there's two of them. One. Two, but on one hand. Wrist. Correct. Okay. Predator style. Semantics. Predator, Predator style. style. Predator style, yeah. I was going to say, these things are kind of like Wolverine's claws. No, those are three. There's a three. Only they're attached at the wrist as a weapon, not biologic. It's almost more like, like Shredder yeah, it's from... Predator. Like, oh, Pre- Shredder, yeah. Shre- yeah. You know, Shredder from... Teenage Mutant Ninja, Ninja Turtles. Turtles. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's just forget <laughs> what I said about Wolverine. <laughs> oh, you're pulling out Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Yeah. Okay, okay uh, let's write that down and never right, speak well. about this again. Shredder. He was their sensei, correct? No, he's the bad guy. No, he's Splinter. Splinter, Splinter, Splinter was, was the, the sensei, the big oh, rat. The little rat. Okay. <laughs> As Robot Ninja rescues a female hostage and delivers a quick message to the camera uh, looking at us about upstanding citizens are the real heroes and kids stay off drugs, we cut to the action being played out on a TV screen. What we were watching thinking it was the movie was actually a TV show. Um, a not only was it a TV show, we see a CD TV executive named Stanley Kane kicking back with a blonde chick, Miss Barbeau, Ugh. and a big ass can of Budweiser, laughing his ass off at how campy and glorious the show is. Glorious. He bets the character's creator Lenny Miller, who created the Robot Ninja character, must be fuming at what a success his Robot Ninja character has become in this cheesy show done in the style of the awesome 1960s old Batman TV series. Why would he be pissed? He's getting paid. Well, speaking of the old Batman show, Stanley Kane, the comic publisher slash TV producer, is played here by no one other than Boy Wonder himself, Burt Ward, from the 1960s Batman. And the blonde hottie parting with him is Scream Queen Hall of Famer Leona Quigley. I know. Leona Quigley from Return of Living Dead and a million other things. Chainsaw Hookers. Uh, man, two minutes into just this. all the titles that just flow off the lips so easily. <laughs> Chainsaw Hookers. Chainsaw Hookers. Uh, man, two minutes into this sucker and we've already got two cult legends. Well, one cult legend and Burt Ward. But still. Well, you know, and the other thing that really cracked me up about the name, in which I was like, I don't know if he just came up with it on his own, but, I mean, he threw in two things that immediately, especially when you're talking comic books, Stanley and Kane. Stanley. Stanley Stanley and Bob Kane. Bob Kane, the creator of Batman. Uh, Well done, Mr. Bookwalter. But Lenny, the creator, comic book creator of Robot Ninja, he isn't stewing his pretentious comic book artist juices at home. Oh, no. Suddenly, he's barging into the production booth at the TV station to demand answers on what they're turning his beloved Robot Ninja into. Which, his, really... His sleazy agent is there. doesn't really make a lot of sense. He created this guy out of a pure artistic thing, and now he's this cheesy he's Adam West stab. Batman type he's character. He's getting paid. Well, maybe for you guys, money's all what it's all about. Not Lenny. Well... Uh, his agent's there, too, uh, to kind of negotiate and calm things down. Why is his agent there in the studio? He's wearing a plaid leisure suit, shirt unbuttoned yeah. to the thing, gold chains. Tut style. Just so there's zero doubt the guy's a sleazeball. 
And he's not helping Lenny's cause at all. Hey, baby, you're right. And then he looks at the TV guys, but you're right, too. Like, he, <laughs> he wants to make everybody happy. Uh, you bastards don't give a shit about Robot Ninja, Lenny tells them before storming out. I'll show you what Robot Ninja is really about my own way. The TV director tells him, hey, you know what, idiot? You can do whatever you want in your funny books. But your publisher likes the TV show. He likes what we're doing. And it's going to continue full speed ahead, baby. There's nothing you can do about it. Well, on his way out, Lenny picks up a TV screen, throws it on the ground. He's going to do something about it. Unfortunately, we have seen this play out a lot of times where a movie studio will buy the rights to something and then just jack the crap out of it. Fantastic Four. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Dolph Lundgren Punisher. Sorry, Dolph, but it's true. It happens. It happens. The original Captain America. The original Captain America. The movie which featured now the Flash's dad. Wasn't he the... No. Well, technically, there was a a 1970s Captain America with the horrible plastic shield. Yeah, I remember that. But then there was also a, a early 90s... Captain America movie. Yeah, I thought that was the guy who plays the Flash's dad in the Flash. I'm not sure no, I remember. I'm not. not sure I remember the '90s Captain oh, America. It was, it was it was horrible. Yeah. Oh, no, he was the Flash in the horrible Flash TV series. Yes, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I get so confused. There's so many horrible '90s things. But yeah, it's one of those where you know they they have all the elements there. Even like Fantastic Four with uh, the Roger Corman that never got released. Yeah. In many ways, you're like, you know what? At least it was faithful to the comic book yeah even though it made absolutely no sense whatsoever but every time they've tried to do it nowadays they just they can't even follow the comic book no they can't well this leads us into the opening credits and they play out over a series as we see the you know actors and production crew's name it plays out over a series of black and white comic book panels uh, from the Robot Ninja comic kind of reminds me of a Swamp Thing intro a little bit Yak Boy, at this point, despite some questionable acting in the opening few minutes, you had to be excited seeing a comic book ner- being a comic book nerd. Oh yeah, seeing this opening. Anytime, I agree. Yeah. Anytime I see like like sketch drawings or anything like that, you flashing had, at up. this point you had to have hope. Oh, I did. Okay. Uh, and on that note, let's address the low budget elephant in the room right now and get it over with. Uh, <laughs> let's just do it. I know this isn't necessarily y'all's cup of cinematic tea, if you will, that you would gravitate to if it weren't for me. Although, you have to admit, if you were 13 years old in a video store and saw the Robot Ninja box, you would have rented the shit out yes. of it. Yes, yes. Oh, I, I, I rented... Damn tea you would yes. have rented I rented so many movies that, just based on, you know, going into the old movie store, seeing that box, that's your only thing, reading that, like little paragraph on the back of it you're like this is it you this guys, is my Friday night you guys give me yeah. so much shit on the show for the movies I picked but this is one that you would have been all over as a yes kid. probably at least, yeah. at least took an initial yeah. rental probably yeah uh, me personally I grew up shooting no budget movies all through middle school and and high school uh, casting my friends and local weirdos and all my little movies so I'm biased I have a real appreciation for these films uh, I think that came across in the interview with Bookwalter. Yeah. Um, I, I, I really did grow up watching these movies and, and, and just eating them up because I was making the same, on a different level, the same kind of things, you know. Um, it, so my, my perspective kind of, it does differ from you guys on this, but 
I just want to get that out there. Fair enough. Uh, you guys wouldn't normally jump into this movie on your own, but let's let's go from there. Well, uh, no, I'll, I'll I'll even go a little bit further. This movie was made for twenty five hundred bucks. Yeah. Uh, Do you have a different thought process going into to the rest of this conversation after talking to Bookwalter? No. I had a different thought process after I actually tried to make a movie, tried to make you know projects. It, it, it it's hard to get an appreciation for just what budget does for a film, because I guarantee you, if you gave me a story and you gave me two hundred and fifty million dollars. I'm going to hire ILM uh, Industrial Lights. I'm going to hire the Hollywood guys. And regardless of whether I'm any good or not, I'm going to make you something that's pretty dang... It looks good. It sounds good. All the stuff's there because I have this entire corporate machine behind me with that money. Mm -hmm. Now, you strip all that money away, and that's when you actually see talent. That's when you actually see... Ingenuity. Storytelling. That's when you see concepts. Creativity. I would not have had that appreciation had I actually tried not tried to do anything. Uh, which which we have done a little bit here on the sh- even on the show with short films and and whatnot to varying success. I mean, it is really hard to put out a nuts and you know, I think the doctor says tits to nuts story. Okay. I might have that phrase mixed. It it is hard to put out a complete thought out story in film form in any way whatsoever. Whether it's a short film, whether it's a feature film, you if you can pull it off and put it out there. Yeah. My opinion is always I'm going to give you a certain level of credit going in. Just you did it. Let's put it to you this way. Uh, audio engineer hired today is $300 an hour, and your total budget is 2500 How long is that going to last? Yeah. No, you gotta learn to you got to learn to do all this stuff yourself. You do. Um, so I just want... I, I, I'll be curious to, to get you guys' take moving forward. Um, as, as we go through the story, I'm going to be really... I, I'm honestly just really interested in getting y'all's spin on, on, on where the story goes. My The way I try to count or the way I try to filter this is that I when I, when I approach a low-budget film or a no-budget film, all right, at least give me good concepts and a great story. Uh, if you can give me those two things, yeah. I mean, I, I understand what budget is. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. I like it. All right. Well, let's do it. We join a young couple as they finish up their meal at a restaurant. Uh, the dude says loudly, I've been waiting a whole year for tonight's dessert. Finally getting some. She's going to finally let him penetrate her that night. Well, I think we figured that out. Oh, he lets everyone know. I, I, I think everyone in the restaurant was clear. What? Can I interest you in our dessert menu, sir? No, no, no. It's her. I'm interested in pie. I'm having her pie for dessert. And she's all into it like, yeah. 
So he pays the bill and they shuffle off to the parking lot. But before he can get his car in gear and his pants off, a van pulls up and a gang of punks kidnaps both of them. Filthy punks. As the van careens down a dark country road, the gang leader, Buddy Ravel, rapes the woman in the back of the van. While the and once again, rape plays a theme in our movie. Oh. Alright, it's only been in six of our eight movies this year. But we. I, I really think that you are trying to cry for help. I I've, do introduce something new in his film. The female gang member tr- attempts to rape the dude. Female rape. Yeah, that makes it so much better. I think so. Uh, but she, yeah, she 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 holds down the dude, and she's like, "I'm going to see what this guy's all about." I don't know. He's been waiting a year. He's probably like, "All right, look, as long as I get laid tonight, I'm I'm good." Um. Well, the van starts to have engine trouble, as all creepy late 80s cargo vans tend to do, or so the doctor tells me. Uh, and when they pull over, guess who pulls in behind them to call in the suspicious activity to the cops? Which I don't know what was suspicious about a van breaking down on the road. Well, didn't he see them like throw, the, throw the people in the van? I, I, think, he, I, I think he did. Okay, maybe he saw that. I don't know. Uh, yep, it's our hero, Lenny Miller, the comic book artist. Uh, remember... He's a highly successful comic artist. That's why he has a cell phone in 1987, 88. Right, yeah. They Uh, were expensive. They were expensive. Well, the thugs drag their captives out of the van, guns to their heads, and when Lenny, i got to make a move, heroically makes a move to save them, the punks knock his ass out cold, especially the chick. Yeah. Knocks him out. Uh, They shoot the girl a dozen bloody times. And then they stab the poor horny bastard to pieces before speeding off. Just over and over, Lenny, stabbing. Lenny's there just knocked out, but they kill the, the, the man and the woman gruesomely. Here's the thing about J.R. Bookwater films, too. The minute they shoot her, she looks like a zombie. Yes. <laughs> like, they shoot, they shoot her in the back, and all of a sudden her face is oh, decaying. Man. Well, no, they, they like, they... they <laughs> They shoot her in the back, and then I thought that they shot her in the head, and then like her entire lower jaw, jaw is, gone. is gone, and guts are coming out. But her face <laughs> is instantly blue. It, 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 he definitely has a, a, a style. Well, Lenny's uh, buddy, Doctor Goodnight, picks him up from the hospital the next morning and drops him off at home to start. He immediately would start transcribing the previous night's activities into a brand new Robot Ninja comic. Is this the guy that has the? Uh Yes. The Tucker Cat? Dr. Goodnight is played by Bogdan Pesic. P-E-C-I-C? Pesic. Pesic. Who played Dr. Molson in Bookwalter's other early film, The Dead Next Door. Dead Next Door, yeah. He even wears the same ball cap, which is just a plain trucker cap written in marker, once I thought I was wrong, but I was mistaken. That's what it says on his, <laughs> on his hat. That should be fun. I oh crap! We should have asked him about what the what was up on that hat. I should get that tattooed on my arm. That was my <laughs> motto in life. Uh, Lenny slaves away at his art table, recreating oh, the gang man. members and all the bloodshed they unleashed into his comics. Well into the night, he's he's inspired to to write a new Robot Ninja based on this. Well, somebody isn't so pleased with the new graphic narrative turn that Lenny's taking with the Robot Ninja comic. And that somebody is Burt Ward. Oh, Burt Ward. Upon seeing the new pages that he turns in, uh, the publisher, Burt, calls up Lenny on the phone and tells him, Look, 
I want Robot Ninja to evolve more into a novelization of the cheesy TV series we're producing now. Let's not go heavy with these gangs and violence. This is going to be fun, like the 1960s Batman. They, they reference the 1960s Batman out the ass. That's what the people want, he tells them. Quick, let, quick question. Yeah. What is the time period between this movie, uh, Robot Ninja, and uh, Dark Knight Returns? Well, they're referencing the, mini, the graphic novel, which was out at this point. Yes. That came out mid-80s. Okay, uh, so yeah. Dark Knight Returns... 86 85 86 right. 86ish was okay. when Frank Miller put that out. Yeah. And that okay. and see that and that was the sort of the, the And Burt Ward even says in this, why don't we make this a separate graphic novel? Those are big right now. And he's like, "No, no, no. This is the comic. This is Robot Ninja." Okay. That, that shift change. And they and they even talked about that with the earlier Would you Batman kind of have to appreciate that kind of yeah. aspect to it. So like, you know, Burt the 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 60s Batman TV show and then they came in with you know, even even seventies and eighties Batman was was still pretty dark in comparison than the what they people the would TV think show? about. No, no, no to the other DC oh, comics. Michael. Yeah, but then Wait, when what? when okay, yeah. when uh, Miller put out the Dark Knight, it just took it to a whole new level. Yeah. It, it it elevated from just being a comic book of like I'm going to stop the bad guy to being. Vigilante. What we, what we think about now with Batman is the this this collection of, of of psychosis. I mean, I remember in fourth grade trading comics every Friday. We were yeah. allowed to bring cr- comics to school, and me trading like fifty other comics to get one guy's Dark Knight. And here I'm looking at a girl, uh, you know, this this big Russian chick with Nazi swastikas on her yeah giant titties, and I'm like, I'm in school trading for these comics and I'm yeah. like this is like I need this like <laughs> oh you want uh, four uh, Peter Porker the amazing spider hams take them uh, give me give me the Nazi titties uh, <laughs> that's going to come I, back to haunt me isn't I, it? I, I don't, probably will there's a phrase I don't think I'm going to hear again in my lifetime <laughs> when you run for alderman it's going to be like give me the spy, give me the Nazi titties uh, again fourth grade Batman comic, I think it. I think, I think I'm. I think I'm okay. Uh, well, Lenny holds to his artistic vision here and says, "You print what I give you, or I quit." Bert Ward's fired up. He tells Lenny, "Look, I had a promising young comic creator in my office just this morning. The extremely awkward we saw the the visit, and highly untalented Marty Coleslaw." Played by another, <laughs> played by another indie horror legend, Scott Spiegel, director of the movie Intruder, um. which is an amazing early splatter uh, slasher movie. Spiegel was another Sam Raimi guy. Uh, worked on the Evil Dead's, and uh, he plays Marty Coleslaw, this incredibly untalented nerdy comic book artist. It's um, funny because not having the horror background, I, I, I'm missing all these references. But this guy, I just. For some reason, I was like, this guy has to be somebody. He was also in uh, Dead Next Door. He's one of the early cops that gets eaten. Yeah, um, uh, yeah Scott Spiegel, he also went on to direct one of the Dust Till Dawn sequels. Uh, okay. When Rodriguez kind of licensed those to his buddies, he yeah. gave one to Scott Spiegel. Um, Intruder is... Uh, I'm amazed we actually haven't done it on the show. It is another Sam Raimi produced one of his friends' movies. It takes place... Uh, a grocery store is closing at the end of the night. 
uh, like a local Brookshire Brothers or a safe, a small grocery store, and somebody the, the starts knocking off all the employees. It's a really fun movie, really gory, just like all of these. Uh, it's a little incestuous family, the Sam Raimi uh, yeah. family. Um, but he tells Lenny, you better watch out, because come May, when your contract expires, I will put Marty Coleslaw in charge of Robot Ninja. You no, you won't. Watch yourself. Of course, we saw Marty Coleslaw in his horrible drawing, so we know that's a bluff. Um, well, now you guys know what I'll be checking myself into hotels on. <laughs> Anytime you're looking for me in a hotel in the future, don't tell him Matt Cade. Is uh, there a Marty, Marty Coleslaw? Coleslaw here? Oh, yes. Mr. Coleslaw, sweet? Uh, uh, I'll take a steak sandwich and a steak sandwich and four Bloody Marys to the coleslaw account. I've got to go out of town this weekend. I'm going to check in as Brock and Lens. <laughs> Broke. Brock and Lens. That's right. Well, Lenny, uh, he hangs up the phone on, on, his, on his publisher, Bert. Cracks open an early morning beer. The sun just came up, TNCC style. <laughs> and damn publishers. And we just saw Burt Ward hang up the phone. Damn artists. <laughs> I love those creative cuts that works yeah. both sides of the, of the cut. Uh, and he clicks on the news. Upon hearing of a report of another rape in town the night before. And also yet another Cleveland Browns loss. So even <laughs> three decades ago, rapists were still raping. Browns are still losing. Some things never change. Thugs, thugs still love to rape chicks, and the Browns just lose. Uh, well, Lenny has had enough, and he yells, Damn it! As he looks up at a robot ninja drawing he has pinned to the wall, and he jumps up. Gets in his sweet car and speeds off. Boys, what was that sweet car he drove? Was that a Camaro? Iraq. It was a, it was a formula. It said formula on the back. I think it was a Formula Camaro. Is it? If it's formula, I think that's Trans Am because they're it? real similar. They're real. Yeah. So the, the Trans Ams and the Camaros, especially so, especially at that time, they were yeah. pretty much the same car. The gray and yeah. silver two tone. Yeah, that's probably. I think that might have been a Trans Am. It was if a it's sweet, formula. It was a sweet ride. Um, hey, speaking of things that are sweet, I think the Camaro was Can Am. I'll go with that. Sure. Speaking of things that are sweet, let's take a minute now to talk about the Sweet Jane Cigars from our friends at Drew Estate. Uh, love is for suckers. Cigars are for lovers. Deadwood, South Dakota, where legions of denim and leather-clad riders descend for their annual celebration of life and freedom, Sweet Jane welcomes them all with her alluring aroma and easy-smoking taste. Mm -hmm. This cigar is for the road well-traveled, boys. I personally am a big fan of the Sweet Jane. It's my go-to cigar as far as introducing newcomers and newbies. Oh, it's good. Uh, Non-smokers, if you will, to the premium cigar world. Um, trust me, fellas. Light up a Sweet Jane for your special lady, and she'll thank you for it. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's nice. Um, so go to www.drewestate.com to learn more about Sweet Janes. Uh, it, it is a unique and uh, special smoke. And sweet and delicious. Or you can go to the TuesdayNightCigarClub.com website and click on the Sweet Jane There's link. a big Sweet Jane logo there. Boom. We did all the work for you. So Lenny races over to his buddy Dr. Goodnight's laboratory and pays him that week's royalties from the cheesy TV show. Let's call it what it is, a shitty TV show. Uh, but apparently it was successful. Successful. People were watching it. 
to, but he gives him the money and he says, you know what? Which is really, if you look at it, when he threw it down, it's like 60 bucks. <laughs> uh, design and construct me a real robot ninja costume so I can hunt down the bitch who kicked my ass and all those other criminals. <laughs> or at least freak them out until the cops show up. They'll be freaked out by the costume and, you know, buy me some time. Seems legit. Because spandex turns into armor. (laughs) We are then graced, I'm getting to that, (laughs) with an awesome music montage that shows Lenny hard at work on his comics at his table, interspersed with him doing push-ups and crunches, uh, getting into prime superhero shape. In three days. While Dr. Goodnight goes to the local surplus store shopping for robot ninja costume materials. Robot ninja montage. Nails. Duct tape, saw blades. He's getting all the cool stuff. And then we see him constructing the suit while taking occasional Pizza Hut breaks. <laughs> There's like a minute there where he's just eating Pizza Hut. What's wrong with that? I love the moment when he looks up at the wall of the robot ninja drawing <laughs> that Lenny did, a very detailed cartoon drawing. Uh-huh. And then he looks at what he did, which looks nothing like that. And he's like, nailed it. It's <laughs> <laughs> so good. He's so satisfied. <sighs> Got it. And I've assembled this pile of crap. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't resemble it whatsoever at all. And when uh, when when uh, Lenny shows up, he's like, Doc, you did it again. <laughs> this looks nothing like you're drawing. Anywho, it doesn't take it away at all from what is a really good music montage, correct? Yes, Yak it one? is. It was montage. It's a good montage. Uh, and just like that, a, a, a hero's costume is born. Uh, excuse me. Goodnight has even equipped it with a vocal disguiser in the helmet, so nobody can recognize Lenny's voice when Back he says, in the 1990s. "Game over, thugs. Game over." Sorry, Lenny. Christian Bale, you ripped off Robot Ninja. Lenny is ecstatic with the results. Thanks so much, Doc. I'm headed out tonight to catch those creeps. <laughs> the doctor says, "You do what you want. I'm exhausted. I'm going to go to bed." <laughs> well, good night. Good night. Uh, very funny goodnight says but in a weird and unexpected move once goodnight goes to bed Lenny then raids goodnight's medicine cabinet before leaving and swallows a handful of his prescription pills just like a drug addict but it doesn't even it would be different if it said like you know adrenaline or that's that's wrong you know strength enhancers Nope, just just pills. Just oh, medicine cabinet. <laughs> oh, so it turns out now that Lenny is a pill popper. Hey, man, whatever helps the cause. What is this bear? Let's do it. <laughs> you don't even look at the. <laughs> it's good for your heart. It's good for your heart. Thins the blood. <sighs> um, before we get to Lenny's first night out on the prowl, let's revisit uh, the cigar real quick. I see a lot of smoke coming on over there. Anything other than leather, body, woodsiness, anything new? Absolutely not. Yeah, I'm I mean, still just needed. getting that leather. I'm still getting a little bit of the cream. The cream is very minimal. It is so faint. Yes, I mean, it, but it, it's, it's, it's hinting that, there. It's toying with me. I'm not... I'm, I'm getting no pepper no. on regular draw, retro hell... I got a little bit of the classic Nicaraguan mineral. You get, I get, you, yeah, you get a little bit of that, but you don't get like, like I said, you don't get that classic Lajero profile though. No, uh, and actually, I would put this at a medium. Yeah, 
um, full-bodied medium, but not full-strength. It's a, it's a medium-strength, full-bodied cigar. Uh, I now, do, I do I'll like, to, I do like the profile. I'll have to admit, I, I'm not as familiar with Honduras tobaccos, so I don't know exactly how much the Honduras influence is kind of playing with it. Uh, maybe that's kind of shifting some of the, you know, classic. It sounds like a Tom Clancy novel, the Honduran influence. <laughs> I'm not sure how much they're influencing the Nicaraguans in this cigar. I don't know either. I, I, I want to say maybe that's where some of the cream has come, the creaminess? I, possibly. I know I mean, you said the Ometepe, but I'm, it might be some of the Honduran, too. I, I know the Hondurans typically no, it, tend it, to it could be. bring in some of those factors. Um, but, man, complexity is not... Now I'm just picturing a Tom, Tom Clancy, you know, the Hondurans bring in the cream. Copyright 2018. I, I don't think Tom Clancy is writing that. Can novel. we copyright Tom Clancy stuff? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't think. I lo- it's a very enjoyable cigar. No, I'll, I'll, I'll give it that. The profile that's there, I enjoy, but complexity zilch. Yeah. Um, Flavor wise, it is nice. I mean, it, I, if you like a, 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 a full bodied leathery cigar with a little bit of cream and, and a little bit of, of on the retro, just a little bit of. Uh, I say we say mouthfeel, nose feel. <laughs> sure. Copyright to. Copyright to. I think we're maybe. the first ones to ever say it has nose feel. It does leave a really good, kind of kind of uh, wasabi like lingering, Just heat in your nose, spice, but not. It's not pepper. It's not pepper. Um, construction has been fine. Good draw. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, yeah. Construction has been spot on. I mean, burn line is, I mean, just almost. I mean, just practically a, a flat line for me. Um, yeah, burn line's been great. Draw's been great. Um, relight just due to me ignoring it for a little while. Um, all right, well, I'll come to it again. Uh, everybody's kind of you're approaching the midway. You're approaching the final third. I'm approaching final third. So I'll, I'll come back to it. Uh, I. I, I am enjoying the beer. Um, again, not complex at all. It, it's basically grapefruit and a little bit of hops on the front end. I'm not going to say it's a little bit of hops. Because, I mean, I've, I've had beers that rate themselves like 60 IBU that aren't as hoppy as this. And maybe it's the smell that's influencing me I think I think it is the aroma. It has a very hoppy aroma. I, I'm telling you, it's, you know, those commercials that you see. But like it's trickery because that hoppiness isn't on the, on the beer itself. I, I don't know. You know those commercials that you see like Samuel Adams or even Budweiser where you, you see the guy like put his hands in like just nothing but hops and grains is like sniffs it yeah. that's what I smell I mean that's what I imagine that that guy smells but you're not tasting that maybe yeah a little bit I in the know. front end but I man I'm an IPA guy and I'm not to me this is uh, the citrus is is the yeah it's it's the dominating factor here uh, I'm getting grapefruit right yeah but I hate grapefruit I don't like grapefruit either but I, I don't mind it here yeah. um I'm okay with the beer, um, and I'm certainly okay with it pairing with the with the cigar. Yeah, it's it's not conflicting at all. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, as Lenny, aka the recently costumed robot ninja, 
is patrolling the town of Ridgeway, listening to his police scanner. He's rich. He can have all these toys. Uh, at one point, he even says to Goodnight, it's like Batman. And he's like, well, Batman was a, a billionaire. Lenny's got a few bucks. Gotta start somewhere. The hundred air. I mean, still living. He's still living in a pretty <laughs> shitty little apartment, but a uh, hundred air is that a thing? I'm a hundred air. Uh, he hears a report of a van matching the description from the van the night before parked at a local video store. Which, and, coming across the police scanner, you would figure that if a cop is reporting it, the cops would be there. Cops are there. No, no cop says on the scanner. Well, I'm at a traffic stop. I'll be there in about ten minutes. So I'm at a 10-200. Robot Ninja gets there a little bit quicker, and sure enough, the three lowlifes led by Buddy Ravel are robbing the joint. After blasting the poor video clerk in the chest, hey, give it to this. On low budget, Bookwalter knows how to shoot people. I mean, big blood splurred out of his chest. Uh, they grab a little kid hostage and head back to the van with him, but when they open the van door, Robot Ninja jumps out of the van. Uh, he tells them in his robotic voice, I'm the I'm the robot ninja, and it's game over for you. Does that sound somewhat like Robot Ninja? Sure, absolutely not. But we'll take it. I had it. It sounded liked, a lot better before. I liked it. All these beers. Um. Well, this doesn't dissuade Ravel from grabbing a female hostage from the parking lot and yanking her in the van. Let's see those big knockers, honey. Unfortunately, it should be noted we don't get to see those big knockers. Uh. Is that where we're going to go with this? <laughs> no, I'm just saying. Uh, low budget. Yeah, Nudid- second rape scene. No, third rape scene. I'm just saying, yeah. low budget movies, nudity is the cheapest special effect. Yeah. I always tried to get a lot of that in my early films because <laughs> they were cheap. Uh, well, we don't get to see the big knockers. Seriously, though, a dude in a robot ninja costume just jumped out of your van and confronted you, and you decide to go ahead and do hey, you a rape. Know what? I got some time here. I'm gonna get my rape on. <laughs> I know. If I hadn't blown all of my budget on that casting couch, <laughs> hey, you guys handle that robot ninja guy. I'm, I'm gonna. I see, got things to do. Man. I'm gonna see these big knockers. Man, this crew is focused. <laughs> they are task oriented. <laughs> hey, everybody has it. Everybody has a job. <laughs> you handle robot ninja guys. I Look, handle knockers. Dude, Ravel's like, I don't want to micromanage here, but I'm on knockers duty. You're on robot ninja duty. Just do your job. <laughs> well, robot ninja ends up stabbing the shit out of Ravel with his claw hand. Like, literally, like, just blood everywhere. Stabs him to death. And we cut to graphic comic book panels which accurately capture the violence that we're seeing firsthand. Yes. I'm sorry. Every so, time he, he drew this up, he, it's like it's, how he wanted to do it. It's almost like a premonition. I'm a, yes. I, I imagine it beforehand. He, the night before, he drew up how this would go, and it's going just I'm like sorry. Every time I see this technique done, uh, the intersplicing between illustration and live action, I love it. I eat it up all the freaking time. As comic book guys, you kind of have to. Yeah. Um, well, robot- and it's kind of cool because he understood that's what comic guys want. I mean, yeah, Bookwalter got it. Uh, uh, well, Robot Ninja saves the girl with the big knockers. Uh, that's her name on IMDb. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not reducing her <laughs> to, an, to an object here. Uh, I don't know if that's her name on IMDb. <laughs> Sounds uh, good. But he saves her, 
and her terrified little brother, the boy they took hostage. But the other two gang members, including the bitch who kicked Lenny's ass the night before, they get away when the police show up. As Lenny drives off, he's so proud of his mission. I did it! I did it just like I wrote it! I did it! But later that night, in bed, his violent actions come back to haunt him. It's not quite the same as drawing all those actions on paper, is it? You actually saw it firsthand, and that's going to mess with your head a little bit. Well, you literally just stabbed a dude in the neck, like, repeatedly, and... I would think, I, I eat a lot of too much pizza at night. I'm up all night, like, heartburn... Why did I eat all that pizza? You just literally I think I'm filleted a guy. I think I am Bill Clinton compartmentalized enough to where I'd be like, yeah, I'm fine. Well, not Lenny. He has he has some pretty bad dreams. Uh, well, Goodnight shows up at Lenny's place the next morning and shows him the newspaper. Not only did Buddy Ravel die, that's okay, but somehow the kid did too. If you he me- got pushed. If you remember the that bitch in the gang threw him down on the ground and yeah. I guess too hard and it. it cracked his head or something um and now the police are hunting down the masked vigilante responsible yeah not the rapist not them they're going after robot ninja dr goodnight tries to take back the suit and pulls and his pills (laughs) by the way i know i I know you swallowed like a dozen of my pills too you asshole that was never in the deal i didn't take anything they're literally on your (laughs) nightstand right there but lenny Hey, you know what? Tosses him to the ground. Tosses Goodnight to the ground. He's not going to be stopped until justice is served. I guess. Maybe. <laughs> um, well, that next night, Lenny once again dons the robot ninja costume and hunts down the gang. You know what he reminds me of? Um, I've been watching the Supergirl series. Yes. The greatest American What's the hero. Jimmy Olsen? Who's the character he becomes? The... Uh, he creates a suit, yeah, and goes out at night. It's like the Avenger, or the yeah. uh, you know, I'm the Enforcer or something, and you know, it's just a guy with no real superpowers. But at least Jimmy Olsen in the Supergirl series has some martial arts training, right? And he's pretty fit. This guy has nothing, just those claws. Well, I mean, he did ten push-ups. That's got to count for something, right? <laughs> That's, true. That's true. And and at least I've, at I've, least one I've crunch. Done ten push-ups and yes that does count for something and it's sad that i've watched every episode of that i can't think of that that (laughs) that superhero's name uh all right well the next night lenny puts on the robot ninja costume to hunt down the gang uh well by saying that he really just parks his car and gets out and they show up (laughs) there's no hunting there's no batman detective work how the cops can't find these guys and he just drives out and just keeps finding them i'm gonna pull in this parking lot they'll come to me and they do (laughs) Uh, only this time, the bad bitch has brought an entire team of new thugs. Uh, you know they're up for a fight because they all get out of the van doing this with their fists. <laughs> yeah. Wringing their hands together. I'm just saying, like, every time I have thrown down, that is my first go-to. That lets you know that Tuttle's ready. Ready. Just do this number. <laughs> this moisturizer's not going to apply itself. Exactly. And they proceed to Tuttle, jump. are you ready for a fight? No, I just... Hand sanitizer. <laughs> well, they proceed to jump our hero. Uh, what happened to that gun that they were had that they were shooting everybody willy nilly with? And I doesn't before? really matter at this point because that was yesterday they were shooting everybody. <laughs> uh, 
as they got him pinned down to the ground, one of the thugs, this is for Ravel, you dead ninja bastard, they say as they rain down blows on Robot Ninja. He gets a few good licks in, and by licks, I mean he guts one dude like his intestines fall out. He chops off another guy's hand, blood splurting out of his wrist. Uh, but they finally pin him down, and then the bad bitch... I still don't know her character's name at this point, so I'm going to keep... That's what he calls her. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep calling her that. Uh, proceeds to stab the shit out of his arm. They like, fuck yeah. him up. Like, his forearm just... Just, like, guts it. Guts it. I mean, just open. Just I mean, terrible. Just, it's, and it's one of those where it's... I'm like, this is classic. I mean, they're literally just, like, slicing. Like, and he's screaming out, but he has that voice... Uh, <laughs> what kind of robot screams out in pain, asshole, she says. Uh... I guess he ain't like the robot ninja on the TV show, one of the thugs says. They watch the show, too. It's a big hit. Uh, huh, boss? She's the boss now. Yeah. The the big bitch, the badass bitch is the, the, the head of the crew. That had to add insult to injury, though, to Robot Ninja, because he hates that TV show. You're not like the cool one on TV. He's like... It's, it's a distortion of my artistic intent. <laughs> I had other motives. <laughs> you figured that would like fire him up, where he like he just stabs more people repeatedly. He's like well, so does, angry. Well, it does because horribly injured, he somehow slips away by kicking one of his captors in the nuts. Oh my nuts! The guy says. <laughs> and just as the bad TNC bitch is, is filling Robot Ninja with bullet holes, yeah, totally TNC. I'm in a bad pickle here. I'm going to start kicking dudes in the nuts. Uh, should have just. Note to self, lead with that next time. <laughs> What's the Robot Ninja's go-to move? Kick to the nuts. Uh, and just as the bitch starts filling him full of bullet holes, she finally just... remembers, oh yeah, I have a giant gun. I'm not afraid to use. So she starts shooting him in the back. Uh, the police show up, and a firefight ensues, allowing Robot Ninja to escape. He gets in that sweet ride of his and, and rides off. Yeah, nobody's chasing him. I mean... Why not? The cops never go after that sweet ride. Um, and the guy the, with that kind of ride wouldn't be up to no good. No, but the thugs and the big bad bitch get away uh, as well. Speaking of big bad bitches, um, Deadwood's yummy bitches from our friends at Drew Estate are wrapped in a Maduro wrapper and are blended with aromatic and exotic tobaccos that bring out the natural sweetness of the cigars. Deadwood's yummy bitches include the Sweet Jane, as we mentioned earlier, Fat Bottom Betty, which you said your wife is a big fan of, yes, and the Crazy Alice. Uh, Sweet Jane is presented in a 5x46 Vitola and packaged in a 24-count box. Fat Bottom Betty, which is a little bit larger, is presented in a 5x54 Vitola packaged in a 10-count box. And the Crazy Alice comes in a 4.5x46, kind of odd-shaped Vitola. Uh, packaged also in a 10-count box. Um, they're very unique cigars, we said. Find them at your local tobacconist today. Uh, forever, they were only available at Deadwood Tobacco. Now they're at our friends at Famous Smoke Shop. Yeah. You can get them a lot of different places. You'll be glad you sought these badass bitches out. Do it. All right. All right. Well, uh, speaking of cigars, uh, talking about the yummy bitches, uh, you're about... That much into that it. That much into it. I, I'm about ready to, to cash this. You you were actually a little bit slower. I kind of went out on Holy me. Holy crap, you're ahead of me? Yeah. Uh, how's that happen? Um, 
let's talk about our final uh, thoughts here. In the, uh, it's, it's a good cigar. It's it is good. It's not very complex. Uh, if the in- it's enough out of my wheelhouse that it's kind of throwing me off if a little bit. If the intent was to bring the Macanudo name into a new area, mission accomplished. Um, but see, I'm not. I'm not that big. Uh, I, I'm not that familiar with the Macanudo line. So I just know it for what it's known for: mild meat, mild Connecticut. Yeah. Uh, good price smokes. Um, I will say this: in the in the final third, uh, approaching the nub, it, it has gotten a little bit hot um, to smoke, but I am getting a lot more of the Nicaraguan presence, uh, the the mineral and the earthiness that yeah, wasn't I, that I, wasn't I, there earlier. I agree with that. Uh, where earlier on, as we said, it was leather, um, that little hint of cream, but mainly just leather. Uh, yeah. Full bodied, I, I'm getting a lot more earthiness and mineralness in the in the final third, which is nice. I always like to get something towards the end, like oh wow, that's a little new. Yeah. Um. Uh, we've been smoking it for quite a while. Uh, I'm going to come back to you way later and yes. see, get your final impressions. Um, Tut, do you, you, I saw you agreeing with me on the the Nicaraguan aspect. Yeah, coming into play. Yeah, uh, it, it does have a little bit more of that mineral and earth presence that you would notice with a, a Nicaraguan cigar. Just talk price point. Uh, it's been a fairly slow smoking robusto, um, enjoyable. I go nine fifty. Nine fifty. I don't know. They're touting it a little bit, saying it's out of their norm. I'd go like eleven. Six forty nine. It's not too shabby, man. All right, six dollars. That, 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 that throws a whole little six dollars and forty nine cents. Yeah, that's. Good. <laughs> Everybody's going to their their score sheets here. Uh, I would agree uh, from a, a price point advantage. It, it is a very all right. First of all, the length of time that you get off of a robusto, yeah. it's impressive. That is, uh, it's a slow burning smoke. It's a slow burning smoke. I mean, we've done most of our show. We've done an interview with it. Uh, it. it it's it's nice that it hung around there. I wish it had a little bit more outside of the leather. Yeah. I wish that cream would have picked up a little bit more. Maybe just a little hint of pepper. Uh, I kind of like the consistency in, oh, in theory of, you know what, the original Macanudos gave you one profile. There's not a complex smoke. No. True. Very true. So we're going to give you a full-bodied, stronger cigar that, same theory, we're not going to give you a lot of twists and turns and uh, forks in the road. We're going to give you. We're going to give you a full-bodied macanudo that's going to give you a different experience, and we're still going to maintain our macanudo mantra of affordability. And I think that and they. That, I do think that they accomplished that. I really do because it does have some heft. To it, it does have some body to it. It does. Uh, there's there's some strength here. Yeah. Uh, like I said previously, 
if you handed me this without a label, smoke it, tell me what you think, and then say, who did you make it? Who made it? I would not say I mean, it wouldn't be my top five Macanudo. And you're started out with Macanudos. Correct. I think this is, might be like only my third Macanudo I've ever smoked. Maybe second. I don't smoke a lot of Macanudos. So I can't, I don't, I have nothing to compare it off of. Yeah, I only smoked him when I was hammered and out of cigars and I'd borrow one from him. <laughs> uh, yeah, that price point is, is nice. 650 is nice. Yeah, it, it is. Especially like with the rise in tobacco prices that we've seen recently. It's really good. Um, so I like that. I'm going to come back to you. I think, I think we've said everything we need to say. I'm going to come back to Yak Boy as I watch yours kind of go down. Right. See if you get some of that Nicaraguan hardiness that we got in the in the final third um all right well when robot ninja with his wounded arm and beat the shit uh retreats that night the bad bitch follows the wounded robot ninja to dr goodnight's lab but she's so tired uh tncc style we can finish this now but i'm sleepy after after a long night of rape and, and murder. I love that fact. I just want to get some Z's. I love that fact. This She's like, like, you know what? We know where he's at. We'll come back in the morning to finish him off. Uh, good we night. know that he's there. He's there. We'll, but we'll, we'll come back. Uh, it reminded me of that. Remember that Western we did? Uh, uh, Kill or Be Killed? Yes. Where yeah. they had the bad guys in the hotel and the sheriffs were like, all right, they're here, but let's get laid with some prostitutes, and we'll get them in the morning. <laughs> TNCC stuff. They're this not stuff. going anywhere. They're not going anywhere this late at night. <laughs> well, good night's out of town. Uh, he had a, a weird inventor conference or something. Well, I think he had to go oh, several towns over to refill all of his prescriptions. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Son robot. Good night. You just had this morphine uh, prescribed. Well, something happened. <laughs> robot ninja happened. <laughs> Uh, so Lenny lets himself into Goodnight's laboratory, uh, and the, Lenny, the comic book artist with no medical or biomechanics background, we assume, begins to insert tubing and metal parts into his horribly <laughs> ravaged arm to make it functional again. Which makes no sense. He's not the Terminator. I'll make myself a robot. I was waiting for like the little red screen and him to As, start to, like... And because this is Bookwalder... As he's puking up blood in his guts, he looks like a zombie at this point. He looks like a full blown. Oh, his yeah. face is de- all swollen up and decaying. Uh, oh, they fucked him up. And Excuse me. Can, and when I, I love how he like digs also, out the bullet in his leg, and then he like just puts a metal plate on it, <laughs> in, <laughs> and he just inserts it in there. Like, I'm a robot. dude. How are you not feeling this pain at all? Like, well, I'll tell you why. Because he goes over to the medicine cabinet and. <laughs> and Shuffles about a dozen more pills into his face. All those opioids. Seems legit. Those pills really helped me. That was candy. (laughs) He doesn't look at the bottles. He just swallows them. You are not going to have a heart attack anytime soon. You know, it's funny you mentioned that, Yax. All of my Tic Tacs. (laughs) It's a gruesome scene, and it's funny you mentioned Terminator, because I think the scene was certainly, as he's doing this homemade surgery on his arm, certainly inspired by the surgery scene in the original Terminator. Yeah. Which I think is confirmed if you noticed one of the cops on the radios, Bookwalter names Car- uh, Cameron. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think that's his way of James Cameron. Him a shout out. Hey, if you if he can use Cameron, I can use uh, Marty Coleslaw. 
<laughs> you heard him. He said I could oh, use it. Oh, I was about to say. You heard the interview. Uh, well, but he looks terrible. Oh, my God. He's on death's door at this point. Um, well, Lenny makes his way back to his place, and he stares at his comic panels, which clearly show him kicking the villain's collective asses. He had drawn what he wanted to happen that night. Didn't I quite lost. go that way. I lost. But the way I drew it, I should have won. So as an artist, because that's who he truly is, he grabs his pencil and starts drawing a new comic with his good arm. Which, apparently now we learn that he's ambidextrous. I guess. <laughs> he can just draw a perfect panel with, with his left both arm. his right or left hands. Well, sure enough, the badass bitch and her cronies, unlike the TNCC, we'd sleep in and forget about it. She actually shows up at good nights the next morning to finish the job. Yeah, we're not showing up anymore She's, She morning. is literally like... At this point, the 1960s penguin, her henchmen come in. <laughs> Dude, it, it truly is. She has her little henchmen. Uh, they, tra- they trash the place and good night. Oh, he made the mistake of coming back from that inventor conference. Uh, when they realize, they see the drawings of the robot ninja suit up on the, even though they don't look anything like the suit that attacked them, they assume that he's the robot ninja. So, Godi Sanchez, we learn her name finally. Uh, the bitch's name is Godi Sanchez. Godi. Shoves her pistol into his eye socket and not like presses it against his eye. No, shoves, shoves it, it in through his eye into his head and splatters his brains at the back of his head. And what does she say? Good night, good night. Ugh. He used it twice. No one's to, telling I'm, this sweet prince good night. Which I'm starting to think he just named that doctor good night to use those lines. <laughs> uh, well, zombie robot ninja, a.k.a. Lenny, stumbles his way back to the sweet ride, and as he's driving back to Goodnight's lab, he ex- gotta get more pills. <laughs> he experiences crazy hallucinations. Probably. Because he's lost a shit ton of blood. Either that, or it's the hundred plus pills he's consumed over the last <laughs> six hours. Uh, where all the gang members that he's killed have returned as zombies. The guy with the severed hand yeah. is a zombie, blood splurting. There's a uh, smoke machine. Smoke machine is pouring in smoke. They're all zombies and they're attacking him. Uh, blood splurting out of their orifices. Intestines pouring out their mouths and their bellies. It's all beautiful. The smoke machine, obviously, low budget hey, helps this everything. It's fantastic, all low budget, practical. low budget magic. I love it. Uh, but somehow, despite his blood loss and heroic pill consumption, us style, <laughs> he drives his way to the lab where he finds the doctor's corpse. They hung him upside down uh, after they killed him. And uh, Godi Sanchez, the bad bitch, wrote a note saying, "Robot Ninja, meet us at the graveyard." Okay. I thought she thought Goodnight was the robot ninja. Just in case. <laughs> All right, we're done here. Just but, in case somebody else is hey, out there. This is why I'm the boss. Leave a note <laughs> saying if you're still out there, meet us at the graveyard. You're just, you know, waiting for, like, filling out the note and, like, one of the henchmen. But, but boss, we, we just killed him. <laughs> Cross our T's and dot our I's, boys. Um, you just leave the thinking to me. <laughs> That's why I wear the bandana. That's why I'm wearing the red bandana. Again, we intercut with stills from his recently drawn comic panels when we see a robot ninja arrive at the graveyard. And despite his just awful condition, he kicks some thug ass. I must win. 
He slices up the scuzzy van driver big time. Aren't all van drivers scuzzy? Pretty much. Yeah. But Bookwalter goes one step further. The character's name is Scuzzy. <laughs> My name's Scuzzy. <laughs> Just in case you missed Just it. Just in case you missed how Scuzzy this guy is. His name's Scuzzy. Um, but Godi Sanchez uh, tries to get away just as the police begin to arrive. She manages to run over one copper. She sandwiches him into the some pile of trash with the van uh, before crashing it. And when she exits the vehicle, Robot Ninja pounces her. No more fucking around, Robot Ninja, she yells. I agree, he says. <laughs> Robot Ninja slits her face open with his hand claw. They then have a quick hand-to-hand combat scene where they slice and dicey beat the shit out of each other before a police officer finally a police a, a cop shows up on time for there's, once in this there's thing. There's a cop in this movie. And he blows her to pieces. Um, there actually was a much more running thread of this one cop who was kind of always a minute late to everything, but I just left it out. It, 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 <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um... Lenny, the robot ninja, retreats then with with Goaty and Scuzzy dead. He's accomplished his mission. All the th- original thugs are now dead. Uh, he retreats to his art studio where he mutters, Just like I planned. As he pulls out a pistol and blows his fucking brains out, sending blood splatter all over his latest comic drawings. If you watch, when he puts the gun to his head, it close. It, there's a close-up on his swollen zombie eye. And as he pulls the trigger, the blood squirts all over a drawing of a close-up on the robot ninja's yeah. eyes. Nice touch there, I thought. Tying reality to the comic book. Um, art imitates life. Art imitates life. Life imitates art. Who knows? Not too on the nose, but I thought it was a nice touch. Because he doesn't make a big deal out of it. It's just a quick shot to the... Oh, I actually had to rewind it to see where the blood hit on the comic. It's like, I wonder if it ties in. It did. It Close up on his eye, blood splatters on that eye. Um, I'm going to light up my second smoke here. Cody, final thoughts, because uh, we're almost done here. Yeah. On, um, are you getting any of the Nicaraguan earth and mineral in that final third? Just a hint of it. Just a hint. Okay. I mean, overall, like I said, the not, not complex. I've had hints... Of various flavors, but nothing that just steps out and says, "Boom!" But none of that. So I'm. But for six fifty, you're okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, you I'm said st- what? Eleven? Eleven? You guys have I've, never I've, been more off in the history of seventy-two episodes. You guys have never been more off on guessing. Well, that. from for future reference, it it's Macanudo four fifty. <laughs> Three dollars. Two. The price. It's going down as we speak. Okay, uh, I think we were kind of unanimous. You you just lit up your second. Early impressions the same as it. Yeah, lock solid. Okay, uh, in the final, if you by some chance get something crazy, let me know. Um, the next day at the comic book publishing office, Burt Ward has already hired Marty Coleslaw to start drawing away in Lenny's absence. Hey, got to keep the machine running. Uh, but business ain't suffering uh, from Lenny's loss. Bert's secretary, Miss Barbeau, the blonde... Uh, oh, Miss Barbeau. Linnea Quigley. Uh, 
she tells him that they've already pre-booked more copies of the final Robot Ninja comic than the Batman Dark Knight series. That's big time. We then cut to a glorious 1980s comic book store. Oh, I totally, where, mint, uh, totally missed that reference. Yeah. The Dark Knight reference. All right. They're outselling the Dark Knight. That's big. It's big. Well, uh, we then cut to a glorious 1980s comic book store where everybody is eating up the latest and last Robot Ninja comic. Man, I wish I could be him, one pimply-faced teen says, reading the reading the final uh, Robot Ninja comic. Not me, says one chubby other teenager. Look how it ends. And we see that the last issue of Robot Ninja ends with him blowing his fucking brains out in the last panel of the comic. Yeah. He foresaw his own death, and he and he drew it. I don't really. Which, understand in hindsight, that. doesn't make a lot of sense, because you know what? He kind of just witnessed a crime. It didn't involve like they killed his wife. Yeah. I never really got. I know maybe we're reading a little too much into Robot Ninja, <laughs> but Batman, his parents. Yeah. Spider Man, Uncle Ben. Right. Robot Ninja just kind of saw something and got pissed. He made it his life's mission. I'm going to die as a martyr to take out these three punks. They didn't really do anything to him. He they, could have just they as beat e- him up a little bit. He could have just as easily sat in his car and been like, you know what? I can track these guys down and I'm just going to call the cops. Because I have... A cell phone. There was no personal. <laughs> this night- box phone. Right there was here. no personal attachment to this vendetta. I mean, he's. But I, I, I'm guessing the pills, maybe. <laughs> he pills can, make, he become, pills can make you do crazy shit. He just did become an insane pill popper. I mean, no questions asked. Is it in? Is it in that medicinal orange bottle? Yes, give it to me. Exactly. It looks like a medicinal thing. Oh, it's got a it's got a prescription label on it. Those take ten of these. <laughs> this will give me superhuman strength. Those are just antibiotics. Standard, <laughs> off the you know, simple prescription antibiotics. Well, um, this will enhance my senses. It's at one point. It's he did, at it's, one point. It's he does, at one point he does tell good night. I just had to take it to help me sleep. It's prescription strength. Oh, no, keep him awake. Yeah. It was the opposite. I'm out there vigilanteing. I, I need if, to stay if awake. You, if you think about it, uh, and like I've always... Wa- I have to say, after watching Robot Ninja, I'm kind of questioning Bruce, going, that guy's got to be an addict. That dude has to be his popping first, opioids. His first that inst- dude's got to be Robot Ninja's pills. first instinct the minute Goodnight went to bed was raid his medicine cabinet for prescription drugs. That's got to be Bruce Banner, uh, Bruce Wayne. He's got to be popping pills. Batman's got to be a huge freaking opioid addict. No, he's driven by his pure rage. Yes. Yeah, he, but when you get the crap beat out of you... You're you know, you're, you're, fight, you're fighting Bane. You're going to be popping some pills that night. His rage fuels him and heals him. No, he's popping pills. I'm just saying. Come on. So what you're saying is Robot Ninja dared to go where the Dark Knight movies don't. Yes. Well done, Robot Ninja. <laughs> I'll, I'll go ahead and say that. Look, uh, it's a fun film. Um... 
I have a special affinity for these films. I, I got the feeling you guys got a kick out of it. Oh, I'll say this: yeah. it's it's tough to watch because of the budget. You you can't afford you know actors. Uh, the only any, thing that hinders the only thing that hinders these movies, and I'm and I talked about this. I said it straight to Mr. Bookwalter during the interview. When your entire thing, no matter how good the story is, no matter how good the because his effects are great, his practical yeah, effects yeah, are great. Yeah. When your thing is inexperienced actors, it's going to be hard for some people to get past that. Well, I'll, the the two things that stuck out to me was actors and audio. Uh, there was some audio. Audio is that was, yeah, challenging. Uh, those are the two things, but those those are budget things as well. Uh, I'll never forget the first time I was thrown on a freaking shotgun mic. <laughs> it turned out not exactly as I heard it in my head. Sure. Uh, so I, I, I it ain't I can, easy. I can appre- I, I can appreciate that. Um, I could go out and shoot ten projects tomorrow for very little money if I had actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are the hardest commodity of the independent. Under I'm not gonna say independent. Jr's Bookwater reminds me a lot of. I mean, he is on a different level than me success wise but I never called what I did independent filmmaking that's got a John Wal- John Waters had a great quote like you know independent film has a a pretentiousness to it underground yeah. we're underground filmmakers yeah I'm way underground I make movies for Morlocks <laughs> I make guys who for chuds who live literally under the ground but actors oh. is the the hardest thing to do and so you always say well I know a guy yeah, yeah I know a guy who could do this this is just like him it never it never turns out good yeah unless you really I, I think the one thing I've accomplished is I've managed to make some normal people come across pretty well on screen but it's hard and when you're doing a whole but that was mixed in with actually trained actors when you're doing a whole movie with friends and buddies and hey that guy at the convenience store he looks like he could be a gang member get him in here yeah uh what he does on such a little little small budget is admirable in my point because he hey it's a finished film two thousand and five hundred dollars for an entire tells, it tells a story and, and, and it was actually a very creative story i and, like the and, i love the concept behind it I like the interspersion between the comic book drawings, the illustration, and the live action. I, I like the, the only thing with the story I didn't quite get the whole suicide at the end. Outside of that, I I, I the like pills. the tie. It's just tied to the pills. <laughs> pills. I I like the whole tie in. I I, I love the concept behind it. I really did. And I thought it did a lot of really ambitious things with no money. I mean, um. It, and, hey, that, and that's what's amazing about the it. The gore I mean, effect. And he even said the gore in this is so much more graphic than a lot of what's in the zombie movie, The Dead Next Door. Yeah. I mean, when she kills that guy, she didn't just 
boom. She shoves the gun through his eye socket. You see it in, go oh, into his there's brain. There's a scene where Robot Ninja put his, puts his like gauntlet glove through a dude's eye socket. Yeah. That's just like slow-mo, blood splurting, great practical gore. Speaking of the uh, the Robot Ninja's gauntlet, is hand claw. The Predator claw. I skipped over that scene when Dr. Goodnight is constructing the suit. He hangs a piece of red meat. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, in his laboratory, and he slices it, <laughs> and a little piece that. of raw meat gets on the stuck on the claw, and he's like, well, "He is eating Pizza Hut right and left." I guess what's the difference? Well, it was the eighties, man. <laughs> I ate raw meat in the eighties. At least if we could, I, was, I, well, I yeah. love how it's like, "Will this work?" So let me hang this little cutlet up there, <laughs> dude. It was like a small like <laughs> flank. It was like a flank steak. It was it like. Was. What can I go to the butcher and get for it a wasn't dollar? Like, it wasn't like the cow hanging there. How do, I like make, a, how do I make the most out of Lenny's $60 budget for this suit? I want to test this out. <laughs> oh, flank steaks, $1.89. All right. Make me a suit to fight crime. That's not really what I do, but all right. <laughs> I dug oh, it. Man. I dug it. It was fun. Um, after listening to the interview, I hope you guys out there will go check out the Robot Ninja Instagram and Facebook and pre-order a copy. Uh, it's a fun movie. And like he said, on the on the Dead Next Door alone Blu-ray, you got four different ways to watch it. You know, you could watch it with the Bruce Campbell-led audio. You could watch it with he went back. I mean, this is painstaking work. He went back and actually retrieved those original audio tracks that Bruce Campbell and him had scrapped and recreated. I mean, th- this is a labor of love. And if you love low-budget art trying to achieve something, uh, I have no doubt that this Blu-ray is going to equal that. Yeah. Um, hey, maybe he'll include our show as a, an audio commentary. Man, it's it's so interesting because... Like, you know, here recently we've had the Ready Player One Spielberg release. And no bones about it, I love the book Ready Player One. I'm a Spielberg fan. But at the when at the end of the day when I walked out of Ready Player One, I'm like, Yeah, this is like a contemporary Goonies with a nice cool VR set to it. There's even as cool as the movie is, and I, I, I definitely want you to go watch it, uh, there, there's still... You're missing something out of it. You're missing, like, the meat of the book. You're missing the meat of the story, even though it gets a lot of the things right, and I don't want to be too critical about it, but it's all high-budget, high-effects, wow... But, like I said, if you give me that budget, I'm not going to say I'm going to go Spielberg on you, but I'll give you something that's kind of watchable. But if you give me $2,500, I can't make this. I think, uh, real quick, just to touch on that, I think I think at this stage of his career, Spielberg is a, is a machine. He's a, he's a corporation. He, he has a lot of say in the scripts that he gets but there's no emotional attachment that Steven Spielberg has to a lot of the movies that he does he knows how to shoot a really good movie he knows how to bring it in on budget and 
I'm biased. You guys have heard me rail. I'm not a Spielberg fan after a certain point in his filmography. But, I mean, you can't tell me the guy's putting heart and soul, Bookwalter style, into Ready Player One. It's a job. Well, here's it's his next movie. Here's something that I'm kind of curious about. Jared Bookwalter spent four years making The Dead Next Door. He's going to spend who knows how many hours in his basement putting together a badass Blu-ray of Robot Ninja. Well, right. here's there's a there's a, a passion and a a attachment creatively there to that material that Spielberg doesn't have to his what he's doing now. Here's what I'm kind of conf- not really confused about, but just kind of questioning is that you don't see famous directors going out into a different limb or onto a different or onto a thin limb shall I say uh, outside of their wheelhouse like actors do like when I look at uh, someone like Arnold Schwarzenegger and he does a project like Maggie or he does a project like Aftermath these are movies that are nowhere near what uh, what people our age think of as a Schwarzenegger film, but as an actor, he has the ability to go, yeah, I'll, I'll take on that indie role, I'll take on that indie project, and you know, I'll kind of try to flex something that's not really in my wheelhouse. You don't really see a lot of directors going out on that. Successful level. directors at a certain stage in their career take very little chances. Okay. I'm just kind of curious as to why that is. Comfort? When you're satiated, when you're comfortable, there's very little incentive to rock the boat or to... No. Um, I mean, most. I think most of the good art, when it comes from a band, is when they were in a bad spot or when they were hungry. Or, I mean... You know, take any of your good bands. Their best stuff is when they were living together in an apartment, and and it was all about the music, and it was all yeah. about that. When they're in a mansion, twenty years later, five of those successful records under their belt. There's not that same, you know, for better or for worse. There's not that same. And, and from a filmmaker perspective, I think it's I think it's crucial that you know if you're writing directing your own films, which Spielberg doesn't has never done, but you know Tarantino said often you know all those great conversations you hear in Tarantino films, all those great dialogue moments he got from just going to coffee shops and sitting yeah. and listening because he was nobody and he could. But now he's sitting alone in a mansion, and he's not exposed. He can't expose yeah. himself to people and 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 get those kind of same just swirling yeah. interactions, and then take that into a script. Well, I'm just they're going to be different, and you see that with Tarantino. You see where you know the late the, the later stuff. It's it's all period pieces. It's all Inglorious Bastards. It's westerns, yeah. which are great. But but they're very different because you know he can't just immerse himself right. in the public and, and just observe and just collect things anymore. 
I, and Spielberg actually, I, never had that. He's a director, well, he's not a writer. Well, I oh, all right. First of all, before I go into this, I th- I think that there's a lot of truth in what you're saying there. I am going to put you on the spot a little bit because I know you rank Jaws very high in your pantheon. Oh, it's it's in your top five movies of all time, probably. And that's a Spielberg film. And I'm just kind of curious as to I I understand that you can't expose yourself you know once you get past a certain level but if that talent is there to begin with which i do believe spielberg has that well you can out you can absolutely get to there again nobody's gonna but nobody's dude look at the guy's filmography nobody's gonna say well after jaws he really dropped the there there was one there was one comment that you made on facebook that i almost thought that you were doing it I know you were being a little bit facetious at the time, but I'm just like, you're like, yeah, Spielberg, whatever. And I'm just like... I, I just don't like the guy... I I just don't like anything he's done after, like, Temple of Doom. I just... It just doesn't... His style of directing doesn't r- resonate to me. and I. But I think that's more because I'm inclined to writer-directors. Yeah. Who, you know... Uh, we mentioned Kubrick earlier with right. earlier me... Um, you know Paul Thomas Anderson uh, seeing him grow from Boogie Nights to There Will Be Blood to got, there's something about the writer-director connection with the material that I always just gravitate towards yeah I, I mean I just I, I guess that's one thing that kind of like kind of hit me is that you know like I said there's a difference between actors who they can reach the apex of their careers yet still go on these larks and go way outside of their acting career ha- or the their minute, acting wheelhouse because they get but the directors s- can't really do that no they can't uh especially work for higher directors jump on a project i mean you're just gonna i mean you're, they, ba- they, you're, you're basically saying this is how i want to shoot this well it, i i've got I a script sucks, and though. i'm looking for a particular style of direction but I, I, and so I, they they hire the director well, I, well let's go let's go here's a here's a really easy example michael bay we want to blow shit up here's a guy he'll throw an explosion for no fucking reason he'll he'll pan the camera around flip it over and make it, and boom. There you you go. want a spectacle? But it's, it's just, it's hire just, this guy. But it's just so Correct. weird because I mean, but why is can't he, does he have a connection to the material? Of course not. Nobody has a connection to Transformers. But that's my point. Yeah, but why? I mean, why can't Bay? He go, doesn't. He didn't have a fucking connection to Pearl Harbor either. But why I can't? Why can't Bay feel do Bumblebee's pain? But why can't Bay do an hour and thirty minute character study? He did. Indie film? He did. He did Pain and Gain, the the bodybuilder movie. With, I actually like Pain and Gain. With, that was a great movie. Yeah, they said that was his art film, which was like a sixty million dollar heist That's film. Not, no, 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 no. I, that was Bay being. No, I actually like. No, it was okay. Pain and gain. It was okay. That was fun. I can't comment on Bay because I, I, I honestly have only seen Armageddon and Pain and Gain. I don't know what else I've seen of his. Uh, the but, Rock. I mean, the Rock. Well, I mean, but like I said, it's that spectacle. There's, you know, people hire a director for a certain feel. We want to yeah. get this. That's the guy. I just, like I said, I, I always thought it was weird that 
you know, as an actor, you can take an art house film and nobody criticizes you for it. They think, oh, you're out there, ex- you know, you're expanding your your repertoire. But the moment a director does it, it's like, oh, he's lost it. What I what I take to what you're saying to kind of bring it home is if you actually had an actor a real actor playing robot ninja picture just go with me on this picture somehow bookwalder found you put a, a young ed norton or a young yes and 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 you he actually could film this guy becoming robot ninja Right. It would be so different. You put Very a bu- you put a budget behind. It'd be this, like you know what? Leave the camera movie. on me. I'm going to show you why I can transform. Why why I decide to put the suit on? Because it's no such an impulsive. You know what? I got mugged. A bitch kicked me in the nuts. Give me the suit. I'm going to deliver justice. Boom boom boom. But with that actor that he had, you had to do it that way. Yeah yeah. He's not going to give you any nuance. He's not going to give you a <laughs> jack shit. And Bookwater knows that. I'm making movies for 2500 Boom. All right. You can do 10 push-ups. You're a robot ninja. That's impressive. Uh, <laughs> well, perhaps we've read too much into Robot Ninja. Perhaps not enough. I don't know. I don't think uh, after 72 episodes, you can say we read too much into anything. We give movies our own unique spin. I think every movie that is shot, edited, distributed, and completed deserves our 100% take, and I think that's what makes us kind of unique in that we give every every movie its due justice, where maybe some other avenues uh, don't do that. Um, man, it's ambitious, and it's fun. And it's creative, and I encourage everyone to go to the Robot Ninja uh, Indiegogo campaign. Just support an artist. Twenty bucks, get a DVD, get a Blu-ray. You're gonna get a shitload. You you texted me earlier. How do I get a Robot Ninja T-shirt? Go to the. I kind of want one. Exactly. <laughs> go to the campaign and get one. Uh, give you know. Contribute a certain amount, you get a T-shirt. I'm surprised movie hipsters aren't all over this shit. Um, you know, th- there's such a, a a current, which I've kind of like my ears have perked up. Like I have a lot of shot on video horrible things from the, <laughs> from the 90s. Uh, but dude, I mean, uh, Draft House's Mondo release has a has its own VHS line. They release shot to video yeah. unseen classics. I'm still I'm still, I'm still considering it. Uh, but no, uh, this is one that I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of glad that if we can help just a little bit to uh, to get the word out there, then you know I feel good about that. Nobody's, although I received word this week that a certain highly respected Blu-ray label is doing a new 4K scan remaster with. Tons of additional footage of Hot Dog the Movie. Uh-huh. What? Including tons more nudity. What? Go on. So that might actually be the first time we revisit a movie twice on the podcast. If, th- if that is everything I'm hearing, 
we might do another Hot Dog the Movie podcast. <laughs> <sighs> we have to. We have to. For science. Um, but no. Uh, go to uh, Robot Ninja, Instagram, Facebook. In, uh, definitely the Indiegogo. Buy the DVD. Support uh, real true underground artists like J.R. Bookwater. Thank him very I thank him very much for coming on the show. That was cool. Yes. Yeah, it was, it was, very, that was, was fantastic. It was a good interview. Great. Uh the beer nice. First Solid. of all, I mean Kung Fu Robot. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for making a beer that just this was the easiest <laughs> easiest goddamn pairing we've ever done on the show. Uh, Where are we ever going to find a beer that's going to match all of these film Hey, there's one. <laughs> it was so easy. And for once they had it. Uh, I, I actually like it. And I'm not if, just saying that because I've had eight of them. I, I really did like it. And uh, in, like I said, you know, in terms of an IPA, they list it as American, but it is, as an IPA, it, there's almost no bitterness in, in, for my palate. As a non-IPA guy, not, it tastes pretty IPA to me. Yeah, well, you're a weirdo because I'm with I, I'm with him. This is not I would never in a million years uh, see this as an American IPA, but I did like it. Yes, I mean it was still good. I liked it's a, it's I liked a the New citrus. England style IPA. No, that's clam chowder. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, it was good, and it, and it went really good with our surprise uh, Macanudo cigar. You know, not a roller coaster, but solid. I, Not I, a I, roller coaster, but solid. I like that a lot. Sounds great, right? It's a good quote. <laughs> I might use that in the. Uh, I might. Uh, I would. It's a good show, boys. You can join us on Twitter at TNCCcast. Give us those juicy links. You can join us on Instagram and see all of the beautiful photographs. Uh, TNCC underscore podcast. Check us out on YouTube. Like I said, we're going to be doing a well, if you don't watch it on YouTube, YouTube videos. You're not going to get the beginning of the show when I chug that beer because you guys just sat there in silence. <laughs> <laughs> when I do something bold like that, I need you guys to, for the listeners, to be like, he's chugging a beer. Now all of a sudden I feel like a, you know, a golf announcer. Well, he is chugging, he's chugging a beer. A beer. He's, he's, to our listeners, it's like, What's that 10 minutes of silence? Okay, so from now on, I'm going to go Univision. He's talking a beer! That's what I was... Well, I don't want that. But oh, okay. I want something. You guys got to help. <laughs> well, but, but if you're watching on YouTube, you'll see me chug the beer, and then it'll all be fun. And you can see that Tuesday night Cigar Club on YouTube. Uh, join the Facebook page. Uh, who knows what the algorithm's going to do and whether you can actually see us on the I YouTube page uh, or on the Facebook, the Facebook page. page. But, but I, I think we are also going to explore some live streaming options from these events, which would bring Facebook a little more into it. That would be pretty sweet. Possibly. So uh, hit us up on YouTube for sure. Um I think that's about it. Is from, that it? From like, oh you, yeah, you can like click on our Amazon link, I guess, and you know buy your stuff. If you're going to buy a cigar, you know, go ahead and do the famous smoke deal. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to buy Sweet Jane, definitely hit the Sweet Jane link. I think that's it. Final words, Robot Ninja. Go to the campaign Indiegogo. It's easy to find. I want my T-shirt. Well, you have to pay for that. I'm going to get that t-shirt. 
I'm going to get that T-shirt. I'm going to get it. Pay for it. Buy a DVD. You'll get but a I'm going to get the T-shirt. And then uh, I'll cut the sleeves off. East I'm Texas that, I'm going to get that sweet hand claw. Stabs is that is part, that, is that is that part that, of it? Is that a, is that a, a perk? I hope so. I mean, that I would be to awesome. go through what they're on there because if I can get that sweet hand claw, that's what I'm going to get. JR, put the hand claw up there, man. I think it, I, it's a great idea. He's like, I don't have it, but I... He starts molding. <laughs> he starts making it. <laughs> just mold some shit. This was the actual... It's just tinfoil. Uh, <laughs> it's called movie magic. We call that Canton, Ohio style. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm reliant and biased. Uh, great, great show, boys. Um, I'm going to take one more sip of this beer, and then I'm going to send us out of here in our full blazing glory. Because unlike Spielberg, I care about what we do. He's looking at Cody, and now he's drinking a beer. He's going. I ran out. I'm so sorry. That's that opera training over there. Listen to it. For our you, for our <sighs> iTunes listeners, I just chugged a second beer of the night. <laughs> May the wings of liberty never lose a feather. This kind of ties in with the ninja. Sayonara, motherfuckers. To learn more about the time I chop-sued my way through an army of lethal ninjas, killing them all without getting so much as a single scratch on yours truly, please read my shocking and extremely short short story, Keith Kata, the amazing true story of how I once backed my parents' Chevrolet Malibu station wagon over an army of ninjas by total accident, by Keith A. Howell. Take that, Michael Dudikoff, you wimpy-ass little... I'm not going to say the word. I'm going to take the high road here, folks. As we always do. And in the meantime, to learn more about the movie, cigars, and other libations enjoyed on tonight's episode, you can visit www.tempevideo.com, www.macanudo.com, and www.forthtap.coop. That's fourth with the number four, T-H-T-A-P dot co-op. For more on O'Brien's Irish Pub, the live music leader in Central Texas, please visit O'BrienStemple.com and download their free smartphone app, where you'll find full beer listings including over 40 on tap, menu information, and a calendar of upcoming live events. To listen and purchase music heard on tonight's program, check out www.fritzbeermusic.com. Thank you for listening to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club podcast. This is Keith A. Howell saying, until next time, friends. Unless we see you sooner at the pub. So keep it smoky. And for God's sake, keep it ballsy as well. Two quick comments on this episode's scintillating copy. Number one, 
I'm so speechless I can't shut up about the cultural mishmash put together here, what with the traditional Chinese martial arts like Kung Fu, stirred up in a walk along with Korean Taekwondo and Japanese ninjas, and then throwing in the quintessential American Chinese chop suey. Number two. If there are three things in a trifecta, how can that possibly be considered a pairing? Pairing highly implies, if not actually denotates, two. Not three, two. Mind officially blown. <laughs>